the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Ribs and BK. Tyler O'Neill got 500 at bats. He's a guy that probably hits you 25 home runs with a ton of strikeouts. Um, that's just the way the game is played. So if he got four to 500 at bats, he's going to hit for some power. He's going to have stretches where he's going to get you some doubles and hit you the ball out of the ballpark. And if Lane Thomas, and maybe he comes back into camp and he's the kind of player that we projected him to be, which is a, a steady major league player. Maybe not great, but steady. Um, I, if it's coming from within, it's got to be from one of those two guys. And that's the way I would look at it. That was Danny Mack a couple of days ago right here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. I wanted to open today's show with Lane Thomas, a guy that we haven't talked a ton about, Jamie. We talk a lot about Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill and Jock Peterson. I know Ferrario wants to get him on board. Let's talk a little bit about Lane Thomas because Ben Fredrickson was able to catch up with our guy Lane and man, he was affected in a big way from COVID in a big way from COVID. Here's what Ben Fredrickson wrote about Lane Thomas today. There were breathing issues that required antibiotics and an inhaler. There were dizzy spells that lasted as long as 15 seconds. There were moments his bat, the same one he always used, suddenly felt heavy, perhaps because he dropped more than 10 pounds from his frame, despite attempts to gain it back. There were games when he entered with full energy, and then he felt zapped moments later. How to factor in COVID complications into any 2020 conclusion is, is something that the Cardinals are wrestling with during their offseason analysis of where the club must improve. Again, that comes from Ben Fredrickson. Here's my question to you guys today. How in the hell do we evaluate guys like Paul DeYoung or Lane Thomas or even Carlos Martinez, for that matter, when we know some of these guys are affected in a really, really big way, a really significant way by this virus. We don't know who it was that was affected like Lane Thomas or who wasn't, but we know that some of them clearly were. So how do we take that into account as we try to evaluate who these players are and then project what they're going to be for next season? Well, you do what they're doing right now and you say that we're going to kick the can down the road again for another year and see what we've got. I mean, that's pretty much what you have to do is look at Lane Thomas, and that's why I think the organization did mention him 
earlier on at the end of the season saying, yeah, he had he got COVID really bad and we're going to give him another look. And and anybody else that they deem to maybe suffer from this and maybe Paul DeYoung, that's why he dipped so much at the end of the season. Maybe the energy levels weren't there. All that tells me is that I feel like the Cardinals will do less than we even expect because they're going to anticipate using these players and hopefully that these players, if Lane Thomas has a spike for next year, that's a win. That's like acquiring a new player, right? Because you're not even using him at the end of last season. You didn't even roster him for the playoffs. And now if he's good at all, he's an addition to your lineup. So I don't know. I don't think you can evaluate. So that's why I really believe that the Cardinals are just going to kind of stand pat and make very, very few, if any, adjustments. Have I ever told you that I hate that saying in sports? Which one? Oh, well, we didn't have him at the end of last season, so that's like acquiring a player. What? Oh, he comes off the injured list. Oh, well, that's like acquiring an all-star. But it's true. It's not, though, because but he's always is. been on your team. Yeah, but it is, Alex. Think about it. If he's 10% or 20% of what he really is, and then he's 100% next year, I know it's not like acquiring a new player. But, okay, let me change the words so that you don't get grumpy on I Friday. I appreciate that. Okay? I appreciate that. How about it's ha- acquiring a re-energized player? That's an awesome saying, and I think that should be used a lot more in sports, Jamie. Oh, my Jamie. God, you're so grumpy today. <laughs> you can't evaluate him Paul DeYoung, any of these other guys. Like, there, there's no evaluating. That's well, Carlos now gets a free pass, right? And he's horrible. horrible. I don't think Carlos I think it gets does it. color it in a different way because he was a guy that dealt with it apparently in a big way, too. Remember, there were some reports that he had to go to the hospital for IVs whenever he was dealing with COVID. I don't think it's a free pass, and I do think a lot of this comes back to what is their track record, too, right? And we, we have to take into account God, Carlos is up Carlos, and down in his entire career. And I hear one more time how talented yeah. Carlos is. Dude, I'm going to throw up I'm all going over on the, the other place. side, There's though. No I'm free pass for Carlos. Like, no. every day I hear, wow, he's so talented, man. If he could ever tap it, if yeah. he goes back... Oh, my God. If my aunt had balls, you know what, right? She would be my uncle. What I'm saying, though, is that his up and down nature wasn't exclusively due to COVID. Lane Thomas, we don't have a history of him playing the way that he did a year ago. We do with Carlos. And so I'm going to evaluate him a little bit differently on Lane Thomas. I view him today the same way that I did going into last year. Last year changes nothing for me. I can't look at that as that's the player that Lane Thomas is because the more that you hear about what he dealt with, the more you hear about what he was going through during the season, the more it becomes increasingly clear that just wasn't him. That wasn't the same player that we saw the year prior. Now, he needs to make good on that this upcoming season. He's not going to have a long leash because he still he was never a massive prospect for the Cardinals. He was a guy that kind of surprised a lot of people whenever he came up in 2019. Mm -hmm. He was able to make some waves. They were very excited about him and they were going to count on him in a big way going into last season. And then COVID happened. And so right now, the way that I'm viewing him. I am basically saying if we paused everything prior to the start of last season, late July, I have the same opinion of him today that I did at that point. There's a lot of questions that I still have about whether or not what he does was sustainable over the long run. But I do view him as somebody that at least has some upside for this team right now. You wonder why teams don't release more information regarding some of this, right? Like, even the Blues kept it very quiet with all that. And now if 
If these things here that we're hearing about Lane Thomas, if any of those things are true, playing hockey, a sport where it's as fast as you can go, as hard body checking, all that stuff, how do you think players like Vince Dunn, Colton Pareko, other guys who maybe miss time for a specific amount of period? 20% of the team had COVID from Doug Armstrong himself. So I think you can put two and two together. How hard was it for those guys too, right? So this goes back to my original statement. Why don't teams release how they how they dealt with it. Talk to players about it. Talk to Carlos. Talk to Paul DeYoung. Find out what they went through so that at least the fan base knows, okay, maybe we get a take two on this, right? Because we've been torching people at times and maybe they were more affected than we thought. And all they had to do to fix that was tell us what they're going through. On the flip side of that, though, I would imagine that's the perception from the player's side. Like, remember when when all of the speculation of players on the Cardinals side were, oh, well, somebody has it. And then everyone started blaming Carlos for going out. Like, would imagine yeah, that's long gone now. You yes, know I mean? But at the time, I think the perception then becomes, oh, well, this is a bad person or something like that. There was a stigma around people who yeah, got COVID at a first. Scarlet letter. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, even on the blues, like it's still we never never really got the actual names at least in the public perception but it was speculation of well this guy had to have had it and so i think that's why they hold it close to the vest but i agree i've always thought that with just injuries in itself and i know why they protect the players because you don't want guys going at personal shots at specific areas but and it happens i've always thought that why are you saying upper body and lower body because then everyone just assumes they're just not trying hard enough like i'm just going after everything down low (laughs) that seems like something that you would do but (laughs) if you disclose it i feel like there's a little bit more leeway with some of these places like elaine thomas i just feel like now that we do have the information and we don't have it on paul DeYoung. we don't have it on carlos martinez we don't know exactly how affected we are but we do and because of it kind of to your point jamie i am going to evaluate him a little differently If you were having these kinds of symptoms and you were affected in this way because of this virus, and we know that it affects people this way, Mm -hmm. well, then I'm going to give you a a little bit more slack for your production and your struggles in 2020. It was a weird season for everybody, and it became even stranger for Lane Thomas. So going into next year, I'm going to view him the exact same way that I did this season. A lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty. But also, if he can recapture what he was in 2019, he can be a part of the long-term plan. Final thing that I wanted to ask you, Jamie, because I was reading a story yesterday on The Athletic from Mark Saxon. He was talking about how the Cardinals are using a bunch of analytics and a bunch of these new concepts to implement into their off-season workouts to okay. hopefully improve the roster going into 2021. Yep. How much improvement realistically can come during the offseason? And I know this may sound like a strange question, but we always talk about players getting better. Yep. Well, when does that improvement happen? Is it during the season? Is it is in the offseason because it's quick in baseball, basically November through February, where you really have time to be able to work on yourself. How much time? How much can you realistically improve during that time? Well, I think the key is, and what what most good organizations, any professional sport, try to do is, upon your exit meeting, you get the analytics of one area of your game that can improve. And so, if we t- if I isolate hockey, because obviously I would know that a lot more than what baseball does. Let's say it's you know your edge work or your skating, things like that. So now you know. Now you know, and they give you the analytics of you know where you turn best here. Your your 
uh, maximum speed at this point. So now you build a program around that and you work on that. So it's like me all the time yapping about how come players can't bunt? How come Matt Carpenter can't bunt? Well, it's as simple as if it was hockey, I would have been working on that all summer long. And then you have ancillary things. So if the analytics tell you that your skating needs to pick up just a bit and then your shot and then, you know, hitting the net more, whatever it is, you work on those specific things. And usually it's muscle memory through repetition and certainly through uh, coaching as well. But that way there, when you come back to camp, most of the time you have improvement. And after that, once you get into the season, it's just maintenance, making sure that you're still taking time once a week to uh, get out there and work on specific things with your your skills coach or one of your assistant coaches. But yeah, you can you can have quite a spike in development in the offseason. This is why the greatest players in the NHL, McDavid and Crosby, they go and they isolate one thing like two years ago. Crosby was like backhands. I want to work on backhands. And he came back and scored like 10 goals on the backhand that year. And Connor McDavid talked about wanting to shoot the puck more. And he came back and scored more goals than the year before because he shot the puck more. So there is there is ways to drastically improve, but it has to be very, very, very uh, targeted, very, you know, direct. I always find that interesting in those like hockey and baseball, for instance, because the sports are so much longer like football. You're basically playing from September to December. And so your off season, you actually have more time than the in season itself. So, of course, there's plenty of time to be able to improve. And in baseball, you kind of have like two, three months, maybe to be able to really improve on these things. So I always find that interesting. It's 1116. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. David Fleming is an ESPN features writer. He wrote an awesome story the other day about DK Metcalf and how he is becoming one of the best receivers in the NFL. We're going to talk to him about that and some of the anecdotes that he has, including some wild stories about his relationship with Russell Wilson. We'll get into that coming up here in just about 15 minutes, but coming up next, I'm starting to sense a little bit more optimism about the NHL being able to get a deal done with the NHLPA. What's it going to come down to? Talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Bettman on the call last week, guys told me he's hell-bent on playing, and he wants to start sooner as opposed to later. So we're going to play. We're just going to have to find a way to work this out. I, I just can't imagine in the middle of a pandemic that this is going to end up in that way. I refuse to believe it. That was Elliot Friedman up on Sportsnet in Canada earlier today talking about how everybody wants to play hockey. It's just about coming to an agreement and figuring out how we're going to make this happen. And I was reading on ESPN.com earlier today, Greg Wyshynski put together a great article and he was talking to a player about this situation. The player told him by no means do we want to say, screw you guys. We don't want to make this work. It's more just that they agreed on something five months ago. And for the next six years, they agreed to that same negotiation. Why do we have to change it again already? Again, that came from a player to Greg Wyshynski of ESPN.com. Jamie, I've made the comparison once. I'll make it a million times. This is basically taking a page right out of the playbook of Major League Baseball. They agreed to something in March. They decided, you know what? Circumstances have changed. We need something different. And then they went back to the players and said, hey, remember that agreement? Scrap that. We're going with something different. How do you feel about it? And players were like, well, uh, no, we we agreed to that and we will play based on that. Or you can mandate that we come back for the 60 game season. But we're getting 
a full proration of our salaries. And then we all know what happened from there. Hockey's going through something similar. This time, instead of about being prorated salaries, it's about the escrow. It's about deferred payments. And so we are having that negotiation right now. And there appears to be like 10 days worth of negotiations that can happen here. What's your sense on where we are right now, Jamie? Well, I think there's a lot of frustration on the player's side for the exact reasons that you just mentioned. And I said it yesterday. And let me start off by saying, yes, the owners, it's their business. They are. They have the right to make money. However, contracts are contracts, and a CBA is a signed deal between two entities, which is a legally binding agreement. Okay? So if the players, I said it yesterday, if the players wanted to revisit this two years from now and change it, the owners would tell them to go chase themselves. They would. They'd be like, yeah, that's funny. Good one. Get out of my room, or I'm going to call security, basically. So now the owners, it is a little insulting to the players that now the owners turn and they do that to the players. It's a double standard. And I understand, again, that the owners are the ones that uh, are the employer. But there was a contract signed. So, yes, if I'm a player right now, I'm really frustrated, really frustrated with the process as everybody probably worked their their butt off during the pandemic to make sure that a CBA was signed that made sense. I'm going to go back to what I said yesterday. It's the NHL's own fault that they didn't put out clauses in these, that they didn't put little benchmarks in there where if they can't reach certain attendance, if they can't reach certain revenues, then this here will happen. Then plan B is this, which will be deferred, more deferred money, or the escrow goes up 3 or 4%. I think the players at that point then, you know what, deal with it. They didn't have to accept it, but if they did, you live by it. So I'm really frustrated on both sides. Now, that being said, I think they're going to get this done. The players know how important it is to get their season started. The NHL as a whole knows that they they can't go without games. They can't go without a season. It'll just crush them. It'll just crush them. So they will find a happy medium. I think think it'll be more deferred payments – And uh, I don't think the players will give up escrow. I could be crazy, but I do think the deferred payments will come in. Do you think that the players will view the deferred payments, though, as basically an interest-free loan? And if that's the case, don't they need to get something back in return as well? Yeah, they'll probably want to add a couple of points on that at the end of the deal. So if whatever the number is, I don't even care. Make up X amount of dollars. Who cares? X amount of dollars at 2% or something like that. It won't be big. It's not going to be your 10 or 11% return on that. That's for sure. Especially in all of these, like in the past, you really felt like there was no common ground on this. Like I go back to 2000. What was it, 12, 13, when it has that shortened season? Wow, there's it, been so many. Of I know. Them. It, it I felt, wake up screaming sometimes. It felt like there was no common ground from these side. And that's why I view this a little different than baseball. I understand the, the whole purpose of this. Like, yes, this is very similar to what baseball's owners were doing to the players, but it doesn't feel as. It doesn't feel as dirty as what it felt like between baseball and the Players Association. Like, this feels more like there is understanding, at least. Players are pissed off, and rightfully so, because it is a contract. But there is understanding of like, okay, we, we see where you're coming from. You agreed to this. This is your fault. But let's try and come to some common ground here. Where basically it was the owners trying to come to the table and the players saying, no, F off, we're not talking. That feels like it's got to... 
I do kind of feel like we need to give a little credit to Gary Bettman in this because I, I read this piece uh, again. This is a quote from Greg Wyshynski's story. He said the players want to play. The owners want to play, though. There are a few that have said that they would prefer to sit the season out if there are no fans. Gary Bettman is managing them right now. Bettman's telling them, just be quiet. Absolutely. <laughs> just but be quiet. Suck it up for 60 Go games. Go back to your office and be quiet. We'll let you know when the season the starts. The reason why I say that he deserves credit for that, though, is because, and this is a very low bar to clear, but it is a bar that unfortunately <laughs> exists. When you looked at baseball, Manfred did not do that. Manfred looked at those owners and they were like, we don't want to play. And Manfred was like, oh, no, we have owners that don't want to play. <laughs> what do we do now? Yeah. And he let them voice those concerns. And there were real questions at certain points of, wait, are, are we going to have a baseball season? Are there too many owners that don't want to play? And Bettman had a really hard time managing that. Or excuse me, uh, Manfred had a really hard time managing that. Meanwhile, Manfred, er, uh, Bettman appears to be doing a much better job of being able to say, hey, I know you don't want to play. We're going to. So go ahead and take those concerns elsewhere. Kick rocks with that because that is not going to be what we're doing here. So what Gary Benton has been able to do since well, the late 90s, okay, is he's built up street cred with the owners. Okay, and how crazy is that, right? This little corporate guy. But he has because he guided them through a full season of a lockout which saved them hundreds of millions of dollars because the price tag on players was getting out of control. He got the owners a salary cap. He managed to have another lockout and got more in return and had an escrow built in so that the owners technically don't lose money. Gary Bettman holds all the cards. So if he turns to Eugene Melnick in Ottawa, who's a disaster, by the way, (laughs) and he says to him, guess what, Eugene, your team will be on the ice come January 2nd when we're starting the season. Guess what? It's going to happen. And that's something that Rob Manfred doesn't have. No, you're right. The owners of baseball are in charge of Rob Manfred. They are his boss. Meanwhile, for this situation with the NHL, it feels like Gary Bettman's in charge. And you need somebody that can take control of the room. The NHL has that. Major League Baseball did not. So here's the thing I've got, though, and it'll be interesting to see because I have talked to a couple of players, current players about this. And if the escrow wants to go up, if the uh, deferred payments want to happen, do not be surprised if the players ask for a higher salary cap. Interesting. You want to take, you want to take, you got to give. It'll be interesting. You got to negotiate somewhere. Yeah. You got to be able to, like you said, to be able to give, you got to get. And I'm not talking drastic. I'm talking a couple million so that those teams can just get under it. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivers and BK on 101 ESPN. David Fleming is a features writer for ESPN.com. He writes some awesome stories. His latest was a profile on DK Metcalf. It's called DK Metcalf is closing in fast on football glory. We're going to ask him about the relationship between Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and how in the hell did so many teams miss on a guy that is basically the reincarnation of Terrell Owens. Talk about that with David Fleming coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Excited for this one. We're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Features writer for ESPN.com, David Fleming, joining the show. He's written a million different cover pieces for ESPN, the magazine, now ESPN.com, and he just wrote another one. It's called DK Metcalf is Closing in Fast on Football Glory. You can follow David Fleming on Twitter at Flim ESPN. David, we always appreciate the time, my man. How you doing today? I'm good. How have you guys been? Uh, doing fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about this story. DK Metcalf has been an unbelievable football player, basically from the moment that he got into the NFL, and he fell to the second round. How the hell did the NFL get this so wrong on this guy? <laughs> well, I mean, there's 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 two camps in that aspect, and it's interesting to, to learn about. I think one of the reasons DK is doing so well right now is that he kind of accepted the reasons – why he did fall and people forget that before i mean literally six months before he became a combine star in 2019 he had broken his neck in a game um at old miss and doctors actually for a while thought that he might never play football again so i mean you guys know as uh, the only thing scouts really know for certain is that medical red flags cause players to drop and what, what you realize is he it was kind of he calls it now the, the greatest 64 uh, team drop in NFL draft history, because the reason he's doing so well is the fact that he fell to the Seahawks and they were able to develop him. So is it time to start discarding the three cone drill at the combine? <laughs> well i i I have to be honest you guys the only thing that's ever been proven certain about the combine statistically is that it has absolutely zero relation to success in the nfl and i have i have been in meetings at nf at espn where i've brought up this these studies by like economic professors at, at Yale and it brings tears to people's eyes who who just love that kind of draft guru combine stuff. But you're right. I mean, he was limited as far as, you know, like the kind of routes he could run and he has put in a ton of work to develop during the last couple of years. But my God, if because the guy can't run around a couple of cones, you're gonna miss out on literally like the next generational talent at wide receiver, um, then you deserve what you get. Yeah, David, you talk about him breaking his neck, which is just a crazy story within itself. But if we dive back even further, what are some of the things that you learned about DK Metcalf as a young man growing up? Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those things you do a ton of these kinds of stories and, um, the players with great families and great family backgrounds are, are always the ones that are the, 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 the best to write about and the ones that usually have the most success. And he comes from this incredible family. His dad was an offensive lineman, uh, All-American at Ole Miss, and then played seven seasons with the Bears. And his mom is really, I always like to say, I feel like DK got his physical nature from his dad but what's really taken him to the next level is sort of his mental approach which he got from his mom who coincidentally went back to school when the family was in oxford and got her master's degree in i believe it was speech pathology but she and dk were at old miss at the same time and um for those of us who have kids it was kind of a classic her waving at DK on the quad and him going, mom, no, no, no. 
<laughs> That's amazing. We're talking with David Fleming. He's a features writer for ESPN.com, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, David, I'm a Chiefs fan, and so I've always said, like, I, I don't necessarily blame the rest of the league as much as other fan bases tend to about missing on Patrick Mahomes because there was a lot of stuff that we saw at Texas Tech that I don't know if it works if he's not in the right situation like he is right now with Andy Reid. I feel like in some ways that is also true here. And you kind of wrote about this in the piece where DK is an unbelievably talented player. He's also in what is basically the perfect situation for him with the best deep ball thrower in all of football. How much of his success do you believe that he views and we should view as being a perfect situation as well for him? Yeah, and it's, I mean, and I think I, I respect the fact that he's really come to understand that. I mean, my God, a couple of picks earlier and he's he's with the Jaguars. And I'm like, well, they probably would have converted you into a linebacker by now. <laughs> and or, you know, or he's playing he's playing for the Cowboys and the mess. That's the, the NFC East. But instead, he goes to Seattle. And as you guys know, I mean, Pete Carroll is sort of this sort of modern new age, almost like a business CEO approach to football. And I love this story. But DK's dad who was kind of old school NFL warned him about rookies getting hazed and abused by their, you know, in their first training camp. And so DK goes to the first Seahawks training camp and he's like, I'm ready to pick out someone and, and start a fight because I don't want to get hazed or picked on, but it ends up being the complete opposite, right? These players, even their veteran players, even their more sort of badass veteran players, they, they mentor their younger players to help get the most out of them. And for DK, who's like a serious family guy with brothers and sisters and mom and dad, and it was the perfect atmosphere, especially the relationship, which is almost like a big brother that he has with, with Russell Wilson. Maybe they saw him without his shirt on and were like, you know what, we'll take door number two instead. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, I we at the I told my TV producer for the TV section. I'm like, you know, if you need me to take my shirt off, just just give me the signal and I'll I'll do that. I'm happy to go shirtless for this interview. And they were like, no, no, we like people to watch the TV. <laughs> David, you you talk about the perfect situation for DK Metcalf to go into the Seahawks environment, uh, but in that environment is their leader, Russell Wilson. And I understand that DK Metcalf has a really unique relationship with Russell Wilson. Can you describe what that's like? Yeah, well, both players have sort of begun to say that they're 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 even closer than friends now. They're more like it's more like big brother, little brother. But it really went to the next level this offseason during the the COVID, the first COVID lockdown, when DK went to Mexico to hang out with with Russ. Um, uh, near Baja um, and DK grew up and didn't and was scared to death of swimming and his mom actually took him for several lessons and there was a couple of near drownings when he was four and um, I say that jokingly as he was fine but um, <laughs> so DK as he gets closer to Russ admits that the one thing he can't do as an athlete is swim and Russ says Oh my God. And I have to tell you, I mean, this is like the most Russell Wilson thing ever. He goes, well, I've talked to Michael Phelps and he's given me some <laughs> tips. <laughs> and so, Get in the pool and I will teach you how to swim DK. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is like, this is like wide receiver quarterback bonding to the next level. 
and, and when whenever they had that moment, like did did it take them to a different level in terms of the trust that DK now has for Russell Wilson? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, on top of the on top of the swim lessons and the I like to picture DK trying to put on those like the floaties that we put on our kids, <laughs> but they'd have to be like tires. And a nose plug and him playing Marco Polo with, with Russell Wilson <laughs> and Sierra. Kids. But exactly. And but on top of that, what I should point out, and thank you for mentioning this, is they did an absolute ton of reps of 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 routes of helping with the nuanced part of uh, quarterbacks and wide receivers having to be on the same page. I mean, it harkens back to greatest show on turf, the way that these two guys think exactly alike. And that's why um, they're so productive is if, if they see a certain defense, they both know exactly where the ball's going to go. And, and that was developed. There's no easy way to do that. That was just developed over just mind numbing amounts of reps and, and practice sessions. So we're talking with David Fleming, features writer for ESPN.com, just wrote a cover story on DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf is now on pace for 78 receptions, 1,400 receiving yards, and 14 touchdowns this season, David. What is the ceiling for this? I know a lot of people, and it sounds kind of outlandish when you say it out loud, but I mean, it is what it is. They have compared this to Jerry Rice with Joe Montana and the relationship that those two had together. What's the potential ceiling for what this relationship can be for the coming years? Yeah, and I think that's why people are so excited about this combination and 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 maybe to some extent this story is that you know, we've watched, all of us have grown up, we've watched the NFL our entire lives, we cover it, we, we're, just, we're just engrossed by it, but it's rare when something comes along that's new that you've never seen before. And to see a guy that big and that strong, uh, to be able to move the way he can and then understand the position the way that he does, and then on top of that, have a potential NFL MVP throwing him the ball. I mean, I can only tell you that, they've already set their sights on the record for touchdowns by a quarterback and a wide receiver in the NFL is 114 by Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison. And when they mentioned that to me, that that's their goal, I laughed out loud. Right. And you probably, it's not a great idea when you're interviewing someone to laugh at them, but especially someone like DK, but they, they're a hundred percent certain. I'm like, well, that's going to take you guys a decade. And they were like, yep. So that's, if that's what they perceive as their ceiling, um, it's going to be really awesome to watch this unfold. Well, David, we enjoyed the hell out of the piece. People can find it over on ESPN.com. Again, it's called DK Metcalf is closing in fast on football glory. It's a tremendous piece with some great anecdotes. David, we really appreciate the time today, man. All the best to you and your family, and we look forward to talking with you again soon. Uh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. But now I'm bummed out because I wish I would have used the tire uh, inner tube thing in the story. But next time I'll steal that. Hey, that's that's, that's what Jimmy Rivers is here for. <laughs> David, all the best, man. Talk to you soon. All right, thanks. You got it. That is David Fleming here on 101 ESPN. I wonder how many... As we move forward, Jamie, because he he mentioned how DK Metcalf and Russell Wilson really grew their relationship over the summer during this pandemic. 
I wonder how many of those stories we're going to hear over the next few years. I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe it's somebody in the minors that became best friends with somebody else because they had a room together mm-hmm. in these spring training summer camp sites or whatever you want to call them, the alternate training camps, right? Maybe it's one of those where it's two pitchers that taught each other a new pitch and then they go on to become the next one, two in a rotation. Maybe it's another uh, quarterback wide receiver somewhere else. Right? I don't know who it's going to be, but this will not be the last time that we hear a story like that, where out of something obviously awful that none of us want to have to be going through right now, there's going to be these kinds of relationships that develop because they were almost forced to be so close for a period of time. And the unlikeliest of friends became best of friends. The classic story that we always hear. It happens all the time. I've seen it over the years just through regular goings on, not a special or a awful pandemic situation. But, yeah, I think we're going to hear more about it. And it's not over. The pandemic is not gone. <laughs> so guess stretch. what? Those t- stories have a chance again to work into this season. Unfortunately, um, hopefully we're not talking about it very much longer. God, is that guy good, man? Oh, he's a DK beast. Metcalf. I know we've talked about this a million times and we'll talk about it a million more, but I don't I really don't know how many receivers I would take over him right now. I mean, it is a very limited number. Well, with his age and his ability in the ceiling, it's pretty oh. tough to pick somebody else. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, you watched last night on the field. There were four or five different guys that are really talented wide receivers. I think I would take him over DeAndre Hopkins right now. Yeah, but is it the Russell Wilson effect, too? Like, Portland. put him with, like like Dave said, put him in a bad situation. Put him with Baker Mayfield, maybe, or, sure. you know, Sam Darnold. And this is not... This is potentially not the same guy. Absolutely. It it, it has to all be taken into account. But God, when you put, I think the ceiling, maybe what I'm saying here is the ceiling on him is as high as the ceiling on any other receiver in football right now. I would agree. Because when you put them all, if you put them all into a vacuum, put them into the perfect situation, what DK Metcalf is doing right now is just absurd. If he can stay healthy, he will be someone that we talk about for a very long time. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We've got some questions and answers coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. All right, I'm going to have to amend this question a little bit just Uh because some of the information isn't totally accurate. However, from the 618, guys, I saw a report from a bunch of reporters on MLB that the Cardinals are on top for George Springer. Would you rather have Springer long-term or Lindor for one season? So, for what it's worth, there weren't a lot of reporters that said that the Cardinals are on top for Springer. The story that this guy's referencing, basically, there were reporters that went back and forth. It was kind of like an email exchange, Jamie, mm-hmm. where they went back and forth on wondering what is the best landing spot for George Springer? And they all kind of agreed, hey, if there was one place that could really use him right now, it's very obviously the Cardinals. Yep. Now, that being said, they also then went on to say, yeah, but it's unlikely because they're trying to cut payroll and all of the things, the disclaimers that we've all said all offseason. Yeah. But if we're living in this hypothetical world Which and you we can are. have either George Springer on a, let's say, five year, hundred million dollar deal or Francisco Lindor for one season with no certainty that he will resign. Which one would you go with? Uh, for me, it's a no brainer. Uh, Lindor, the one year, because I know for a fact that once you get the players here into St. Louis, 
and you know, down at Bush Stadium and wearing the birds on the bat. Look at Paul Goldschmidt was a no-brainer. He signed an extension right away. He talked to Jim Edmonds about how great it was. He came and fell in love with the place immediately and wanted to re-sign here. All the guys that stuck around longer than they thought they ever would. Heck, some of them still live here. They're retired from baseball and they still live here. So I think that your chances would be really good of resigning Lindor. You get him in here for a year. You start talking extension halfway through the year. You get that done. So for me, that's what I would do. Yeah, I talk about it all the time. It's about getting the blue chip players. And George Springer is a borderline blue chip guy. He's more like an aqua. (laughs) He's a really, really good player. I wouldn't call him elite, though. I would go with Lindor because I think he's one of the 10 best players in baseball. And if you add that guy to what the Cardinals are building right now, I I honestly think they could be a contender next year. I know that sounds crazy. I know that the Cardinals fans wait, wait, will. What did you just say? I think they would be a contender if you add Francisco Lindor to the current roster. Contender for what? For a World Series. Oh, BK. Man, Francisco Lindor BK, completely changes okay, this lineup. It's Friday and you're in a great mood. And I'm really happy about that. Let's not get carried away. Definitely win the division. Could, could, could compete for national. But you got to go through the Dodgers still, dude. I understand. And weird stuff. I'm, I'm the last guy that typically would say this. But if you have Lindor and Goldschmidt in the middle of your lineup and Carlson becomes what we saw at the end of last year. And DeYoung, maybe he's healthy. I mean, you're looking at a two through five that it can compete with any other two through five in baseball there. All right. L- Lindor is special. And that that's why I would go after him instead of George Springer. I would love to add either. I'd take either. But Mo? in this let's scenario. Let's get Buck Wild. Hell let's yeah, let's do it. All right. Let's do it. I'm going to call Mo. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Answers. Jamie, how about this? We don't typically get these. We, you always can get involved on this, though. Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. We've got a mic drop mm-hmm. for Jamie Rivers. So, Jamie, after I was just listening to the updates uh, from Ferrario, he was talking about, uh, you know, Drew Brees and no new updates and stuff like that. My question to you is, is that since you played the NHL and weren't exactly at the top of the league most of the time, if you were taking another guy's spot because he was injured, how would you feel about like all the news media coverage on trying to bring a guy back that would essentially replace you and put you back on the bench or back down to the minors? All right, first of all, this guy is completely right on everything that he just said. I wasn't at the top of the list. I was a journeyman. I was a five, six, seven defenseman. I have been told that you're a superstar, and I will continue to run with that. At one that. point, I was. There okay. We go. Uh, but anyways, I referenced the situation to you guys the other day when we got this question. When I signed with Detroit, th- I was the extra guy. I was a seventh defenseman. Darian Hatcher blew out his knee in the very first game of the season. I got put in the lineup, and I never left. And it, it, all you have to do is you have to block out the noise of, you know, Darian Hatcher getting healthy, coming back, going to take his spot back on D and this and that and the other. You got to focus at that point as a player of outplaying everybody else that is in your situation. So for me, D, you know, D man five, six and seven, me being seven. Now I get bumped to six. I have to outplay five to stay in the lineup. 
and that's what you do. Ended up to where I outplayed the guys around me, and when Darian Hatcher came back, he ended up being my partner. Meanwhile, other guys got put to the healthy scratch booth because I played harder and outplayed them. So I never paid attention to it in a negative way. I always took it as motivation. You don't think I can stay in the lineup? Guess what? I'm going to go out there and give it my best, and I'm going to do what I can to stay in there. Remember when we talked with Tyler Heineman, uh, the new Cardinals catcher previously with the Giants? He, in one of his answers, I think we asked him, like, what would you tell Cardinals fans about you as a player? What What's your journey been like? And he said at one point, hey, listen, you know, I just I haven't been able to take another guy's job. And then he kind of backtracks. He's like, I know that sounds bad, mm. but that's kind of what you're talking about there. 100%. Like, his goal is to take somebody else's job. It's a weird situation. Like, I'm not trying to compare the two because what we do is far less high stakes than a minor leaguer trying to make it in the big leagues, right? But in some ways, my goal previously, and it's weird to say this, was I need to take somebody else's job. Need to be so good that you can't be overlooked. And it, I, I hate saying it that way, but it's true. And it's the same thing for these athletes. Same, it was the same thing for you. Like, it's not anything personal. It's just business. And for you to be able to achieve the goals that you want to have, well, you, that, that's what is required. Mm-hmm. Somebody else will have to be moved out of the way for you to be able to take that spot. And it sucks, but that's part of the line of work that you go into if you're an athlete. 100%. You get your chance to play. You go out there, and all you do is outplay the guy beside you. Um, and that's it. If you do your job right, they keep you in there. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text sign for questions and answers. Guys, there is a little bit of breaking news out of the NBA. Uh Uh-oh. The NBA and the Raptors have officially been denied the ability to play in Canada for the upcoming season. This is going to have some ripple effects on the NHL as well. And we've already talked about this, and we kind of knew this would probably be the case. Yeah. But if the Raptors can't play in the NBA, you would imagine this basically confirms there's going to be a Canadian division this year for the oh, NHL, yeah, yeah. right? That's already pretty much set. I mean, they haven't released it yet, but talking to a bunch of people, the Canadian division is automatic for this upcoming NHL season. That's why you're talking about the other divisions in the U.S. because much like Canada, some places aren't allowing kind of like what Toronto's going with or anywhere up in Canada. That's why the end date for them to agree upon something so important because you got to quarantine for 14 days if you're going into Canada. So these guys that are playing in Europe. Yeah, you got 14 days before you can even show up to training camp. Yep, it has true. now been confirmed the Toronto Raptors are going to play the 2020 2021 NBA season in Tampa, Florida. They will be playing in Tampa Bay. I would imagine that they will be playing in Tampa Bay Toronto in front Raptors, of fans. Tampa Raptors kind of has a, a ring to it. So what a year for Tampa Bay. Is that how it works in pro sports? You got to find another city that has the same name. Starts with the same letter. Tampa, Toronto, yeah, so Buffalo, Blue Jays. Any of like when you have the scoreboard, maybe T-Rap. Toronto can mi- still be T-Rap. Toronto missed it on the Blue Jays, but I guess they win alliteration. You understand or, you need me to break I, it down for you? No, I've got it. You're good? Okay. What a year for Tampa. You start out with the Lightning winning the Stanley Cup. And then you go into the NFL season with, you know, Tom Brady as your new starting quarterback. And now you've got an NBA team that just came out of the sky. And you went to the World Series, BK. That too. You got Randy Rosarena. I tried to forget that. I know. Me too. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 12 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Noah and Arenado has a potential new destination, and this is really going to suck. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
Arenado is planning on opting out of his contract with the Rockies in a year. And Trevor Story is a free agent in a year. And the Rockies have serious financial issues after the pandemic. And the trade talks between the Rockies and Dodgers are real. Um, so it's going to be fascinating. I think it, I think it's going to happen. I don't think the Dodgers have a lot of competition in trading for Arenado because of the contract and the opt-out. I believe the deal will be contingent on Nolan Arenado eradicating the opt-out and agreeing to stay with the Dodgers on the contract he agreed upon with no opt-outs. Come on! Come on! Now they're going to get Nolan Arenado? It's not nice at all. That was Jim Bowden earlier today, former MLB general manager, talking about the Nolan Arenado sweepstakes. And there was some new updates yesterday from MLB.com. They say, hey, heads up, the L.A. Dodgers have officially entered the mix for Nolan Arenado. Well, they have a spot at third base. Bowden confirming it there. Not only are they interested, they appear to be the front runner for him. And it would all be contingent upon Nolan Arnato waiving his opt out, which has always been this weird hurdle for the Cardinals. Apparently, uh, it sounds like he would be potentially willing, you know, because they're winning. They do a lot of that out in L.A. right now. And he likes that. He's a big fan of that. And he could potentially be a Dodger, according to Jim Bowden, by Christmas. I, I think that there's two ways to look at this, Jamie. On one hand, this sucks because this is a really good player going to a team that didn't. I mean, we didn't need to see another really good player go to there. Not not just for next year, but long term. And that's what this would be is Nolan Arenado in his age 30 season with plenty of his prime remaining would be basically becoming a Dodger for the rest of his career. On the other side, it could mean that. It's a potential Francisco Lindor destination that is now off the table. No, they can still go get him. Okay. (laughs) It could mean they're no longer in the sweepstakes for giving Corey Seager a long-term extension. I don't know if they would have Betts, Seager, and Nolan Arenado along with potentially having to re-sign Walker Bueller here pretty soon. Why wouldn't they? I mean, that's like $130 million for three, four guys. So it's just a lot to give to very few Fair, but eventually you run out of money. Bellinger is going to need a new extension at some point. You, eventually, there is a time when you you can only you have to pick, right? It's kind of like the the Blues. You got to eventually be able to pick some guys. What do you make of the news, and how bummed out does it make you? Well, I'm not surprised. Okay, I'm bummed out. First, to answer your question, I'm bummed out. Now, look, I never really thought the Cardinals were in contention. Alex, I know your heart's broken because you had the 95 percent on him coming to the Cardinals, but the Mets. I've changed the game. They have. And so the Mets just sitting there. They haven't really done anything yet. But just sitting there with Steve Cohen, who said what he said, and with the resource that they, resources that they have, the Dodgers are like, hey, we got to act while we can. And if we can get Nolan Arenado, we got to get him. Because otherwise, he's going to the Mets. And otherwise, player X is going to the Mets. We got to, like, I think that's changed the game in the National League right now, having the Mets be the deep pockets team. First off, I'm not upset because my loophole is still standing. He will be a Cardinal at some point. 95% is just going to continue to last, Jamie. So they'll sign him for like his yeah, you know, 40 season. He's 39 years old. They'll get that one-year deal, and guess what? 95% hits for Ferrario. Uh, what if this is a chess piece by the Dodgers? Like, What if this is a, a move for the Dodgers to try and get other teams to kind of go desperation mode, like the Mets? Right? Like, I don't know if th- that would really work. The Mets would be like, okay, fine, we'll take him. <laughs> no, um, what I'm saying is what if this clears the landscape for the Dodgers to get somebody else? Like if they put Arenado out there and let's say the Mets really want Arenado 
maybe that makes the deal for Lindor a little bit easier for the Dodgers because it takes a team off the board for you know what I'm saying? Like so, this, you're saying this could be a chess move by the Dodgers. the Dodgers. Rather go get Arenado, keep Corey Seager at shortstop. I think I'd rather have Lindor than Seager, but yeah, I, yeah it doesn't no, matter. I understand it, but then you end up with two shortstops. You got to slide somebody to third. I'd rather right. have Nolan Arenado at third. Yeah. At that uh, point. Part of me just wonders if the Dodgers are doing this. And look, they're the Dodgers; they can make moves, but. I also wonder, maybe this is tinfoil on a Friday, but if they're just trying to get other teams to kind of jump ship to start making some moves before the Dodgers jump in, and then it kind of clears the landscape a little bit for the Dodgers in terms of what moves are going to be there for them and maybe get a hell of a deal like they did with Mookie Betts. So you're saying this is a smokescreen? Kind and of. And they're not actually going after Nolan Arnold? Kind of. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think other teams operate that way, though. Like well, it, the Mets if- might. Maybe I think well, that the Mets have pretty much said everybody's in play for us. <laughs> right. I don't think it changes much for them. I, I just this seems to be real. I like what you're thinking, though, Alex. It's I, a good effort. You said it was a tinfoil. It was. You should have had the music. I like it. I, I hope you're right. But I just don't know if there's teams that are like, oh, no, the Dodgers going to add this thirty five billion dollar contract. We need to go at it instead. I don't know how many teams there are out there that are even looking to do something. No, but like I do that. think what Alex is saying, then, is that the, it does fall back on the Mets. Then if the if the Dodgers are looking to do it, then the Mets better jump in quickly to grab it if this is their number one and target. maybe there's maybe Arenado's not the Dodgers main target like he's saying maybe Lindor is but they want to clear off big money and the Mets spending big money I don't know or what if the Dodgers I try to follow Alex's <laughs> tinfoil stuff or and what it's if, difficult what if the Dodgers really want Lindor and they know that there's a competition for Lindor and maybe they just throw the name in Arenado to I don't know clear some landscape a little bit yeah I, maybe maybe Brad Miller's is. still out there <laughs> yeah they should go after him uh, 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 618 guys how is this even right it's getting pretty ridiculous to see one team by literally every big player that is out there <laughs> yep I understand the sentiment, but something that we need to remember is that the Dodgers are able to do this because they're so good at developing and identifying talent in the draft and free agency and uh, by going overseas and finding guys that way as well. The Dodgers are doing it every way you can. They're trading for guys. They're going out in the international free agency and going to get guys from Latin America and from overseas. Like they're getting players everywhere. And so it's not just going out and getting Mookie Betts. It's also developing Corey Seager. It's developing Chris Taylor into a really good player. It's developing Max Muncie. It's being able to identify early in his career when he hasn't been very good. Justin Turner, he's he's changed his swing, and now he's going to be a really good player, and they're able to bring that guy in. It's able to draft and develop mm-hmm. Walker Bueller into a front end of the rotation type of a guy. Cody Bellinger was developed by them. I mean, it's it's not just them going out and getting talent on these $30 million uh, contracts. They're able to acquire that talent, at least in large part, because they're also developing guys that yeah. are really, really good players that become superstars. It's a combination of both, right? So you've got good scouts, obviously. You've got great coaches that develop, and then you have deep pockets. It's actually the ultimate threat. Quite honestly, you look at the Dodgers with all their young players and all the guys that they showed that during the World Series. All of the young players that have been drafted or signed or brought through their system that were in the game, it was pretty impressive. And then you add Mookie Betts, and then you add another guy here, and then you've got a powerhouse team. So, yeah, the Dodgers have they're, they're a double threat with development and deep pockets. What's the intriguing part with this deal, if it happens, is this isn't going to be another Red Sox. This will take a hit to the Dodgers farm system. 
We already know that the Rockies are asking for a King's ransom for Nolan Arenado. Are now, they still? I, I they just want to get rid of that contract. I, I would think that they're still going to. I mean, he's still a guy that you build around, right? Like, I would imagine that they're not going to just give him up for an Alex Verdugo. Maybe it's not, you know, a Dylan Carlson, Nolan Gorman comparison, what it was in St. Louis. But I would imagine if you're the Dodgers and you're going to be taking on that full contract, you are going to have to at least give up like a Dustin May or something like that in terms of their pitching depth. Maybe. I think they'd be willing to do that, though. Oh, for sure. But it takes a hit to the Dodgers a little bit. It takes a hit, but then the Dodgers, because of the deep pockets, can go address that. Mm -hmm. I just look at it as I think the Rockies are wanting to get rid of this payroll. They have $130 million already committed to 2021. That's With how many players? Is that full roster? The the Rockies, this is 28 players under contract thus far. How many usually? Excuse me, 38. So they... They'll have a forty-man roster overall, but they're—I they're, mean—they're going to add something to this. I—I I can't imagine they're going to be around one hundred and thirty million dollars next year. I—I I think they're going to try to shed as much as they possibly can, and thirty-five million dollars is what Arenado is scheduled to make next year. That's it, huh? I think that they're going to be in a situation where if they can get anything for him, and it's a salary dump, I think at this point they would take it. And this is, this is what we've said all along about the Cardinals, right? If they're in a position to take on money and it doesn't seem like they are but if they were this is the perfect time to buy this is the time where you go acquire those good players because you're never going to have to give up less than you will right now it's the case for Arenado. it's almost certainly going to be the case for Lindor these teams that are on the small market clubs that want to get rid of this payroll because if we're talking about this here in St. Louis imagine what they're talking about in Denver or Cleveland they're going to accept less than they ever would have in the past. So the Dodgers, maybe they have to give up one solid player. I think that they're going to be in really, really good position next year, regardless of what they have to give up for um, Arenado. And I don't think it's going to have to be a whole heck of a lot. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. This is the difference between a championship organization and a team trying to get there. We saw it on full display last night. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Three receivers right, two left. Here's the snap. Murray back to pass. Murray hit. Murray is sacked. Carlos Dunlap gets his second sack of the game, and the Seahawks take over with 34 seconds to go. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. You heard that right here on 101 ESPN last night. The Seahawks did it. Our guy Benny Heist tried to sell us on the Cardinals being able to take this thing, and they did not get it done. We stuck to our guns. You stuck to your guns, right? No, I didn't. I got some beef to have with Heist. I got some beef with Heist now. I win Cardinals. He he swayed me towards the Cardinals. He almost did with me, but I thought to myself, Russell Wilson's not losing three in a row. You know, that's what I was telling myself the entire interview that Heist was on with us yesterday. But I'm like, you know what, though? They they look bad. The defense is bad. How are they going to stop this offense? Thanks a lot, Heist. Ask Kyler Murray about that. Yep, thanks, Heist. This is the difference between (laughs) a championship organization and one that is trying to get there. The Seahawks are a championship organization, man. Last night we saw them revert back to their their roots. Russell Wilson threw the ball 28 times. That's totally different than what we've seen from him most of this season. He was good, but he only threw the ball 28 times. Carlos Hyde was very effective on the ground. 14 carries, 80 yards. They got back to that balance. 31 carries on the game, 28 uh, uh, pass attempts in the game. That's Seahawks football. And the bigger part of this was their defense. 
Their defense played really well last night. I know Kyler threw for 270, ended up having almost 300 total yards in the game. He was not as effective in this one as he has been over the last few weeks. This was not a great night for the Kyler Murray MVP campaign by any stretch. And the Cardinals also struggled when it came to clock management. They finished with 10 penalties for 115 yards in the game. There were little things that added up in this one that ultimately cost the Cardinals the game. Those are the types of things that a championship organization like the Seahawks are always going to be able to capitalize on. The Seahawks did it. They, they stepped up their defensive game for sure. Um, but you know what happened with Kyler Murray last night? His shoulder. You mm-hmm. see, you guys see that? I'm telling you, he's scrambling around. He's putting himself in, well, less than great situations because he's doing that schoolyard stuff. I, I just think that there's a lot of hits that he takes. And you watch the highlights. You watch the game last night. There's a lot of contact on him. I was listening earlier today to Keyshawn Johnson talk about exactly what you're talking about right now. And I was like, God, Jamie's got somebody on his side. Take a listen <laughs> to this. RG3. What did everybody say about him? Oh, he's great. Oh, wait. Wait till somebody get a hold of him. Yeah. Cam Newton. Oh, he runs around. He Wait till somebody get a hold of him. Lamar Jackson. Oh, he runs around. Wait till somebody get a All of them are in that same kind of mold that could do dynamic things with their legs. But when them defenders get a hold of you, it's not pretty. That's I- my boy, Keish. I heard him say that, and I was like, you got to be kidding. There's somebody else that believes this, too. I still believe in Kyler Murray. I think he's a good player. You know what my question is for them? Do they have the right coach? I think I like Cliff Kingsbury. Wait, stop. Were we just talking about stop. how they've done it the right yes. way yes. last week? BK. Yes, I, and, and You I d- can't do a 180 that quickly, can you? I can, and I will, and I'm doing it right now. Oh, my. Here's why I'm asking this. I, I like the way that they've built. You're absolutely right, Ferrario. They did it the right way. They got the quarterback. They got the coach. They added weapons around him. Now the question is, can you win with those guys? And you've got to give it time, and they should not fire him by any stretch. But when I watched that game last night, Pete Carroll was a significantly better coach in that game than Cliff Kingsbury was. And in in a lot of ways, it was the difference in the game. So I I wonder, in terms of game management, time management, clock management, I wonder if Cliff Kingsbury is going to be the guy that gets them over the hump. I don't know the answer to that question yet, but it was something that that came to the back of my mind last night as I'm watching that game because some of the decisions, both in terms of play calling the challenge that they had late in that game that cost them a timeout that they needed later in the game. Those were things that I, I wonder if that's going to work in a big time moment against the best of teams. Yeah. What the hell was with that challenge? Yeah, by weird. the way, That was the weirdest chat. Like I, I understand what he's doing. You were trying to get momentum on your side, even though you knew, but like that was the dumbest challenge flag I've ever seen thrown. It is. It, it didn't make any sense for sure. Uh, my question to you is, and I don't know the answer, how long has Kingsbury been a head coach? In the NFL? In the Just NFL. a couple of years. Two okay, years. so maybe we need to give him a little time. Absolutely, and that's Carroll, what I'm saying. Pete Carroll is like, come on, he's one of the best coaches in the league, and he's had an incredible track record of success. Again, I want to make it very clear. I'm not saying they should fire well, you him. Already te- you already <laughs> fired him. You I'm, literally I, you came in, you're like, he's got to go. I think it's a fair go. question to ask. One got to go, are, and he's like Cliff Kingsbury. What are the deficiencies in his his style? What are the deficiencies in what he brings you as a head coach? Listen, Andy Reid had some issues for plenty of years as clock management and all of these different things, right? He, he, he has his red flags as well. We, we've seen that. 
But eventually you've got to be able to have something that is the trump card as well. And if Cliff's offense doesn't take another step and show kind of more wrinkles, we're going to see this next year the way that we saw this year with Lamar. You've got to add more to the mix. It can't just be this moving forward. I think you can. I just want to see it. I want to see that moving forward next year. See, as much as we're going to talk about that aspect of it, I think the part that at least pops for me last night was the fact that that offensive line was just irresponsible. I mean, for how great we've talked about them all season. Touched and they weren't the blitzers. Well, it was that. It was the flags being thrown too. Like to get that safety in your own end zone and take that holding call in such a, a, a rough situation. Like you could kind of see the frustration starting to build because I'll give Klingsbury and and Murray this as they were moving downfield at the end, trying to make that push to tie the game. They had the play right. They were moving effectively. It's just those flags that I think cost them more than anything. This some past of that's week. coaching them. Some of that also like discipline yeah, comes discipline down to coaching of the as coaching. Well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, it, I thought last night was a little bit of a separation type of a game. I, I now feel pretty comfortable saying the Seahawks are better than the Cardinals um, oh, yeah. because in a must win Thursday night, I, I know it was only a seven point game. I, I feel comfortable saying that the Seahawks now are better than the Arizona Cardinals. I think there's a couple more of those games this upcoming weekend. Packers versus Colts. I want to see the Packers win that game for them to be a real championship contender. I want to see the Packers win that one. Uh, There's one other Titans versus Ravens. If the Titans are for real, let's see them do it in Baltimore. If the Ravens are for real, let's see them do it against a Titans team that we think is worse. And Jamie, earlier today, we heard Ryan Clark on Get Up talk about this very issue for the Green Bay Packers. They thought it was enough. They thought they had arrived. They felt like, you know what, with the people in the locker room, we can win. And they're wrong. And sometimes when you're wrong, you waste the great career of one of the all-time great quarterbacks in this league. And that's what we're watching with the Green Bay Packers. They're good enough to be talked about. They'll be good enough to be a factor, but they'll be sitting at home watching the Super Bowl with us because they won't have what it takes to make it there. That's right, RC. It's what I've been saying for the last couple of days. And we look at the schedule, and let's be honest, they've kind of had a fluff schedule. And apart from, what, one or two games, the Colts being one of the games, they kind of have a fluff schedule for the rest of the way. So the moment they play somebody for real, they're going to get smacked in the mouth and they're going to be out of there. Uh, to me, this Green Bay team uh, I've said it about the Titans this year, but as I dive deeper and deeper into this, I think they're smoking mirrors. I do not think they're a legit team. It's obvious after that Bucks game. I mean, that was the team that you're going up against that you got to show that you could be a Super Bowl contender, and you you fell apart like immediately. So I think it's obvious there. Jamie, can we make a bet right now? Mm, okay. After this Sunday, if the Titans win, can you finally admit that they are not smoking mirrors? No. Well, it was a good try. No. You gave a good effort there. Good no, push. because if the Packers, for some reason, beat the Colts, I still think they're smoking mirrors when it comes go time for the playoffs. You know what I mean? The other thing about this game for the Packers. Silent against, treatment. Against I want the, that, I'll call home, okay? The Colts are the exact type of team that typically gives them issues. They are super physical. They love to run the hell out of the football, and they're going to dr- run it right down your throat. And that's the issue for the Packers defensively. They don't have a very good run defense this year. They haven't in the past as well, and it's why the 49ers had so much success against them last season. This is the type of game that I want to see the Packers step up. If they can, I think that we are going to officially have to put them on the type of pedestal of, yes, they are indeed a Super Bowl contender. If they don't, though, on Sunday, then what Ryan Clark said there, what you've been saying about them, it's time to start talking seriously about it. Did they miss the mark? 
did they make a huge mistake by taking a quarterback in the first round and not adding something to the roster that can help them win right now when they are a legitimate contender with some very clear deficiencies with a great current quarterback. (laughs) So I'll be interested to see what happens there. And like I said, the other game Titans Ravens, uh, that's one we're going to learn a lot about both of them. There's one other game chiefs versus Raiders. If the Raiders win Sunday night, we have to take them seriously, especially if they don't have their entire defense. If the Raiders win Sunday night, really? If they win Sunday night, if they win Sunday night, they will have two wins against what we all consider to be the best team in the AFC. I don't think they are legit, but if they win that game, we're going to have to start talking about them as being legit. They're going to get absolutely pounded. The Chiefs are going to remember that last game. Andy Reid's going to have more offensive plays drawn up. Patrick Mahomes is going to look like he should have a cape on. There is no threat of them losing that game. And they'll probably do a victory lap around the stadium afterwards. Oh, you better believe it. Glad you guys said it. I did not. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Fox Sports Midwest is entering the final frontier for sports. Boys, this is how the salary cap goes up in the next few years. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie, one of the last frontiers for sports in general is gambling eventually all of these leagues are going to come around to it why because of the money and what better time to be able to get an extra revenue stream than right about now when you can't have fans in the stands at least not at 100 percent and fox sports midwest made an announcement earlier today they're getting renamed they're getting rebranded the parent company sinclair has struck a deal with bally's casino oh baby in which fox sports midwest and almost 20 other regional sports networks it owns nationwide will be renamed and they will be expected to call be called bally sports or something similar the switch is likely to take place early next year according to the st louis post dispatch but it is not clear if they will continue to have their sub branded locally like Bally Sports Midwest. We're not sure exactly what the name is going to be, but we know that it is going to include more of the gambling content during the games. Jamie, you better start studying up on what the hell half a point means in sports. Listen, half a goal. I'm still confused about that. Well, that'll be fun. Half the puck go in, half the puck doesn't. We joke about it. Sinclair and Bally's expects the revenue from U.S. online betting sources to increase from $1 billion last year, where it's only legal in certain states right now. I think it's like half of the states nationwide now have it legalized, to $12 billion by 2025, five years from now. And eventually they expect that revenue annually to reach $50 billion. Guys, when sports leagues are looking for new revenue streams, this is the big one. This is the one that they look at and they say to themselves, how do we get a piece of that pie? They've been wondering that for years now, maybe even decades. And eventually, when this is legalized nationally, and that's going to happen at some point. It almost has to be. They're going to get a cut from that. You're going to be able to watch a game on Fox Sports Midwest or Bally Sports, whatever it's called. And you're going to see Jamie Rivers on the pregame show talking about, hey, I like the Blues minus one and a half tonight. And then they're going to have on the bottom of the screen during the scroll. Then people are going to be hunting me down after. Yeah, you've screwed yourself on that one. They're going to have a little spot where you can go to the Bally Sports Blues website and put down your bet where 
1% of it goes to the St. Louis Blues or goes to the St. Louis Cardinals. Not to me. No. Not to you, unfortunately. <laughs> you will not be getting you a get cut a from this. You get a half a percent of it. <laughs> get a half of a half. The players are going to want to cut from this. The owners are going to want to cut from this. Everybody's going to get their money. I wonder how that'll work, though, because this is the network, right? And the network pays the teams, but this is a source of revenue for the network. So the way that I understand it, the way that things are going to be legalized when it happens, if it happens, I believe it will, is that these these pro sports leagues so like the NFL, NBA, MLB, in order to get the information that these networks need, the um, Bally's and all of these casinos, they will provide the information needed for a small cut. Right. For a small fee. Okay, And it will be something that goes to the leagues themselves. And then obviously would be eventually divvied up amongst the teams to be able to be added into that extra revenue. Okay, It's also why you're seeing more partnerships with places like FanDuel, the Paradise Sportsbook, which you can use the promo code 101. Uh, DraftKings, all of these different sites are now partnering with the leagues. That didn't happen 10 years ago. They would have never considered anything like this. And now they're going to be able to make money off of it. So this is the way that things are going. So this is great for St. Louis Blues in the NHL. Um, I think it's going to get uh, it's going to get interesting with the Cardinals and and their players because there is no revenue sharing. Yep. So this again by the players, and I hate to be negative on a Friday, but this again for the players would be one more thing headed towards the owners that they're not getting. Yeah, so that could be, you know what I'm saying? Especially after we're seeing people go back to the table now, like when this comes into effect, you got to imagine you're going to see the flip side of this, of the players going back to the table and saying, hey, look, now you are building off of this. Let's get some cuts into this action. I wonder how that'll be perceived. Yeah. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Guys, once gambling is legal, too, why wouldn't the leagues or teams run their own betting through their apps and give um, fans at the stands – the ability to bet straight from their seats. That's what Gary Bettman talked about when they, when the NHL yeah. partnered up with, was it MGM? That, MGM I and also uh, out in New Jersey at yeah. Atlantic City. Uh, so the state of New Jersey and the state of Nevada, Gary Bettman's currently working with the NHL to get live betting in games. So your prop bets, things like that, second period, whatever it is. But eventually he would love to see it in every single stadium where each stadium has their own, like, the, their their own machines that are yeah. there or your app. And we You're, talk about football all the time. That's like the the grandfather of betting when it comes to fantasy football and everything. But hockey might be the first actual pro sport league to dip their toe into this because of that partnership. This is going to happen. What 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 they asked about that's that's going it's going to take place. Like oh, yeah. there, there will be stuff that is sponsored specifically by these individual teams or probably more, more likely by the leagues. You'll have like the NHL app where you can bet through that and then go yeah. through the individual teams. There will also, though, still exist the FanDuel's, the DraftKings. You're going to have MGM. You're going to have individual casinos, Argosy out here. You're going to be able to do all of these things. And so what these leagues are going to want to do is we'll have our own. But also, we're going to have a cut of anything else that's out there as well. So they'll make more if you bet through them, but they'll make a piece of it also whenever you go Either through way, these other the casinos. money leads back to the pockets, right? Absolutely. And so this is where if you're having $50 billion annually on sports betting, and let's say $25 billion of that is through the NFL, because that's the one that makes the most money off of gambling. That's, that's where most people gamble the most often, right? The NHL might make... 
$5 billion, $10 billion off of this annually. Man, that is a massive amount of money. Doubles your this, this is why This is why each league better have the right commissioner in command. And I'm kind of looking at Major League Baseball because Rob Manfred is not the right guy to be nope. uh, kind Theo of. Theo Epstein's sounding captain. better every day. Right. I mean, look, like him or not, Gary Bettman is the perfect person to have in charge of this because of that kind of toe in both sides of the waters Same with the players and the owners. The NBA. Adam Silver. Look, yeah. uh, Rob, um, uh, Roger Goodell is not keen on this, but he's better than Rob Manfred. Baseball might really need to look into finding the right commissioner because you got to have somebody who can manage both sides and take their league to the next level because Theo Epstein, yep. he would be a good guy to have for this. Like it or not, this is I'm the opportunity you. for baseball to grab a hold of that youth attention and hold on we'll to try it. to bring some of the youth into it. Right. Rather Imagine than the college kids being able to do bets and stuff like I, not major money coming in there, but if you do the multiplier by how many college kids are out there placing their small bets, that's why you're watching. Now they're going to be watching the game. That's why you're watching. How do you guys think that the older fans will react to this? Because if if there like is how old, like my dad and my grandpa. Speaking from my dad's perspective, he is all in on sports betting right now. Since yeah. I, since how I've old started, your dad? Uh, sixty. 62 okay, so, so he fits, that enough yeah. is what I'm kind of talking about here and wh- what I mean by that is I'm not talking about having sports betting be legalized I, I you can love it hate it I, I in between whatever mm-hmm. um the place where it will affect fans is if for example Bally Sports Midwest is the new um television contract for the Blues and the Cardinals if there is gambling content that is presented both pre-game post-game oh, they'll have and separate shows the game, they'll have all sorts of stuff going on absolutely and and when that takes place that's where it does actually affect these fans where their viewership changes kind of like right now if you're a cardinals fan you watch the game you hear danny mack talk about some of the saber metrics right he'll bring up weighted runs created plus he'll explain it talk about how it applies to like harrison bader this season for instance a lot of fans don't really enjoy that or there is at least a percentage of them that don't like it there's also a percentage of fans that are going to hear this gambling content. And they're like, I don't care about any of this. Mm-hmm. This doesn't affect me. Yeah. I don't enjoy it. I, I will be interested to see what the response is if and when this is implemented more into the game. So here's where I go with this. And uh, I was privy to be in a couple of NHL meetings as far as growing the game of hockey uh, about two years ago. And each league is trying to lower the average age of their viewership, right? So for for Alex Ferrario's dad at 62, they want your dad, but they're not targeting that, right? They're mm-hmm. targeting an entry point of 18, 19, and then that carrying to 70 rather they than want your kids. So that way correct. when they're your age, they're still hardcore fans. And they've been involved for 20 plus years already into mm-hmm. it. And that the new age sports person or kid in general, individual, they crave information. The why question is every kid's thing. But, but why? How come? Right? Well, guess what? I'm glad you asked. Here's the analytics to support it. And if you have sports betting, Guess what the number one thing is you look at in order to place the right bet? It's the analytics. So I I see where they're headed with this. They're trying to lower their entry point age to get fans and then hold on to them till they get to 60, 70, 80, hopefully 100. I wonder how many teams become concerned about in-game attendance because this is going to take a hit to that. 
Well, right. that's why I think you have to provide it to them to have be able to do it in-game. Maybe kiosks, yeah. maybe apps, maybe things like that. Yeah. Make there be an in-game app on your phone where only you can only use this exclusively while you're in the stadium. In attendance, and yeah. you can bet on who's going to score the next goal. You can bet on while you're there uh, what the next play is going to be, who's going to get the next penalty, all I, of these different I, things. You can right? bet on the damn Bud Light Bud Can race around the thing in the intermission. I get you know? that, but on the, other, on the flip side of that, would you rather be at a game betting on that one and trying to stay on top of other games or would you rather be at home betting on multiple ones and watching as many as possible like something that's already affecting football with fantasy right like we're, we're seeing some of that where i personally don't enjoy as much going to like chiefs games as Whoa. i used to can we record that please? because the experience is just so good on television right now i can watch red zone for the especially when the games are at like noon or three I would rather watch Red Zone and be able to have on the side, like on my computer, I have the Chiefs game going, so I have the full game going on, on my computer <laughs> while watching the Red Zone as my main right screen, <laughs> and I get everything at the same time. It's just like, it's overkill, but it's amazing to be able to watch it. Meanwhile, if I go to the Chiefs games, I'm totally disconnected from everything else that's taking place at, during the noon kicks. It's a little different whenever they're in prime time, and then I enjoy going to those. But I think one thing the NHL, for instance, Ferrario has going for it, I think there's less of a national interest, especially like here in St. Louis, in the NHL and more of a hyper-localized, I'm a Blues fan than a I'm an NHL fan. I would Whereas agree. in the NFL and in, in the NBA, I think it's more of a, I just like the league. I'll watch all of the games on a Sunday or the NBA. I'll watch whatever games on nationally. Yeah, I agree. I think Cardinals and Blues, I don't think they I don't think they get affected because mm-hmm. it is very regionalized here. Where like if you're a Cards fan, it's regionalized right. and Blues obviously too. I'm not thinking more St. Louis. I'm thinking on a national perspective, like teams that have four or five leagues, you know, like like California or New York or Florida, like they're dedicated to those teams. But those are the kind of fans that are like, yeah, you know, I could take it or leave it. I'd rather I mean, sit at home. already like that, though. Yeah, I just wonder if this takes more of a hit to them. It might. And, and, and well, eventually... somebody will figure out a way to divert that back to being in the building Better somehow. be you. Oh, yeah. I'm not talking about <laughs> it on here. Start another company. Yeah. I think eventually we're going to see, like, to your point, Ferrario, I think eventually we're going to see smaller stadiums. Um, especially in the NFL, I don't think you're going to see many more 75 plus thousand stadiums. I think you're going to see smaller with a better in-game experience where your seats are a little bigger. Uh, you feel a little bit more at home while you're at the game. You get more of a VIP treatment like and it'll be more ex- cost yes. you more, though, and it will be more expensive. And Fans that's going to take like away that. from an in-game environment in terms of like what kind of a crowd you are drawing. But I think that's going to be the way that it goes because a lot of those people that are going to be uh, priced out with that are already getting priced out right now anyways. Yeah, I don't like that, though. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. We're going to dive into the junk drawer coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Minneapolis. Yes, several times. Good spot, bad spot, indifferent. Uh, I liked it. Actually, uh, we went to Minneapolis, St. Paul area, the Twin Cities. You know what I'm talking about? Went up there. 
Went to the uh, Mall of America, saw a lot of stuff there, enjoyed it. It's a little cold in the wintertime, I will say that. But overall, Brandon, I think I enjoyed it. Wow, he called you Brandon. <laughs> I know, it just sounded like it's I like when my wife calls that. me Alex, it's like, what did I do now? <laughs> there was once up. upon a time when being having the Mall of America was a really big selling point. Now, with malls not exactly <laughs> being in a great spot anymore, uh-huh. I wonder if they're second th- or, uh, giving second thoughts to having that be the thing that they're known for. Minneapolis? Yeah. The Mall yeah. of America, though, I've heard is pretty incredible. Like, it's not just a mall. By the way, I've never been. It's, so. it's like an indoor theme park, from what I understand. Yeah, they, listen, it's good, and you should take it in if you have the opportunity when the pandemic is settled down. But they have a lot of repeat stores. Like, they've got like 10 of the same store because. Just named every mall in America. What's that? It's all of them. Well, They're yeah, all but this one stores. especially because it's so, so big. big. You like it's like okay, there's Gap, there's Gap, there's Gap, <laughs> there's Gap Park there's Gap. for kids, Gap for men, Gap, gap for, for women, Gap for dogs, Gap for geriatrics, you know, whatever. They, it, Jamie shops there. Twenty yeah. <laughs> one, Alex. So the reason why I bring this up is because Minneapolis has made some headlines today. Uh oh. Their park board has made a new decision. They're going in a new direction. So they've come, come under some scrutiny because they have, apparently, under city and state law, it is legal for anyone to be topless anywhere in public in Minneapolis. What? I was, I was unaware of this. Oh, yeah, but it's so damn cold, right? You <laughs> really are working the percentages on that thing. one. <laughs> but a Minneapolis park ordinance <laughs> continued to make bared female breasts in city parks and parkways indecent exposure. So you can be cited in their city parks if you are a female that uh, exposes your breasts in public. Well, what about a male? So it's also genitalia that is frowned no, upon. No, but it's a topless rule. I, yeah. Male breasts are okay. That is still a problem for them. They, I feel they like still we need do. a lawyer on this. No, no, no. What I'm saying is that's still an issue. You can still be cited for that. <laughs> uh, what has changed for them, though... You can no longer be cited if you are a female that exposes your breasts at their city parks. Well, tell you what, the parks just got a lot better in Minneapolis. So every city park is basically a nude beach now. Now they did this. I will say this: they did this in Ottawa, where I was, where I am from, a number of years ago, and they passed a law that people could be topless. They didn't even care beaches, all this stuff. And the first couple of weeks, yeah, it was, it was like wild. It I was imagine. like open season, right? And you're like, I had whiplash from staring around so many different places. But after a while, people get used to it, and people I kind of easily start to put their clothes back on. Or if there is someone topless, it's really less like that important type thing. You get used to it, kind of become yeah, numb to it's, it. N- it's normal, of course. There's the outlier every now and then that still requires the turn back, but still. Just don't I, let the moose lick the cars. I didn't know there was scrutiny for this. <laughs> I I just I I was taken aback when I saw this story because I was unaware that there were people that felt that you should be able to be naked in city parks in many. Never been to a nudist colony. Well, yeah, but I figured most well, you of you have. Oh, nice. That's what I was going for. <laughs> no, I haven't. I like, Wait a minute. <laughs> Just pull throw up that, a chair. Throw I that fish and pull out. popcorn, will you? But like there, there's nude beaches in like Miami um, and in some of these party cities, especially in Florida, because Florida is a different world. Clothes are optional. I didn't know that this was the case That's in Florida. Minneapolis. <laughs> like, I just assumed that it was a little different up there. It is a little peculiar that they'll allow it in parks. I mean, 
children around. It just doesn't seem like anybody should see male or female topless at the park. What do you get your top on for, eh? (laughs) Take off, eh? For what it's worth, the current ordinance now still says that no one over 10 years old shall intentionally expose his or her genitalia, public area, buttocks. (laughs) Do we really need to explain that? Uh, Apparently, I guess we do have less than a fully operating opaque covering in or upon any park or parkway. So those things are still frowned upon, but female uh, breasts are now allowed. BK, Jamie's taking two weeks off uh, next week. Head up to Minneapolis to do some uh, research and development. (laughs) Jamie, what do you have for us today, buddy? All right, so speaking of uh, odd looks, which would be people who are topless at the local park pushing little Johnny on the swing. Speak for yourself. I couldn't help but get into politics today. Oh, boy. Okay? And... I know we're not a political show, nope. but I just wanted to make sure that we definitely dive into politics today. What okay. the f***? I know. And the politics that I want to dive into have actually nothing to do with real politics. It has somebody who's representing a politician. Oh, boy. Did you guys happen to? Oh, God. First of all, disclaimer, I could care less who you voted for, who you like, who you hate. I don't care. What I care about is Rudy Giuliani. Why are you Giuliani. spray painting? Why are you spray painting your head moments before a press conference? Ooh. Right? And then using your handkerchief to be able to spread it all across your face. He yeah. blew his nose Hold in the up. handkerchief and wiped all his face. Yes. He, he blew his nose and folded what? it boogers out yeah. to wipe his face, well, had to get cheeks, that. mouth, hands. He heard that snot is good for spray paint, apparently, to get it off there. But where is his? where are his handlers Real. on that one? The lady behind him is watching him turn his head, and she's staring at his salad just leaking down the sides of his face. Like when you're spray painting your gray lettuce around the side of your head. Jamie has no experience with this, but no, no, not at all. Which, by the way, I have a great story. Okay, oh, God. this is does. why I kind of felt for Rudy on this one, uh, but also at the same time, Rudy, what are you doing? Nobody mm. cares. You're, however, what seventy years old? Just deal with it. There's <laughs> a time when I went down. You've heard this story where basically I went out drinking in Boston and I woke up in Florida. Yep. Okay, and when I got down to Florida. My brother had been down there with his ex-wife and uh, his wife at the time. And so we got down there and it was kind of funny because how did I end up there? I end up there. He picks me up. It was just kind of a it was kind of a Jamie Rivers thing to happen. Well, we decided again, boss. Again, just to clarify, Boston was where he was. Yes. He ended up in Florida. Woke up in Florida. Yes. Yes. Naturally. Interesting for sure. But his his wife at the time decided to uh, I had some gray on the side of my head. I've always been gray, like from like 12, silver. 13 silver. OK, she says, oh, let's just die. You know, be fun, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, sure. I'm like, I really don't care. Whatever. Well, she buys this dye. I don't even know what it was just for hens. I think is what it was. It wasn't certainly wasn't a good one. And she spackles it on there. Well, it left these marks all over my head that looked like somebody had painted me and then tried to rub it off. Oh, I looked God. like I, it was a disaster. So the next day we go out to a tour of the Everglades and we're going to take one of those uh, those big boats, the air boats, you know. Well, you can't have your hat on for that. The guy's like, us, excuse me there, sir. You're going to have to take that hat off. Are you going to lose it? And I'm like, okay, great. Take the hat off, and people are like, oh, my gosh. What What happened? What happened to that guy? Don't stare at him. I feel bad. 
It was awful. I had black. It looked like someone had taken Lego hair and like slapped it on my head. It was pitch black, and I had a ring around my entire forehead and down the side of my face. So Rudy Giuliani, as much as I was angry that you spray painted that lettuce right before the press conference, I get you, bro. I've been down that road. Rudy's- Jamie. Sorry, go ahead, BK. The worst one, though, check this one out. This is Carlos Boozer a few years ago. yeah. Have you ever seen him with his painted on hair? Yeah, that right there, we call that tough toe. We used to put that on the front of our skates so that pucks couldn't make marks on it. Rudy's had a rough couple of months, guys. He would, you guys, I don't know if you saw the new Borat movie. Uh, I'm not. He was was in that and went into some scrutiny as well. So uh, Rudy's had a couple uh, rough months. Rough months, but dude, honestly, like, what is he thinking with with painting the head? Fresh coat of of lacquer right before he goes out there. And how hot was that room? As you see his hair melting, doesn't somebody turn it up a little bit? You would think so, but apparently not. Speaking of turning (laughs) turning it up a little bit, Zach Thompson was on with the fast lane yesterday. What is he expecting for his upcoming season? And just how much did last year set back these prospects for the Cardinals? We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Uh, it's like Tim Levesque or some of the pitching guys that were there. And then you've got a spread of, like we had a couple of guys that were just drafted this year all the way up through, shoot, Carlos Martinez was there for a little bit. So it was obviously a struggle with all the COVID stuff, but it was good to get to face, you know, like at one point I got to face the young. It's not a slack by any means. 100% take it over the alternative, which was staying at home and doing nothing. That was Zach Thompson, former Cardinals first round pick. Joined the fast lane yesterday. If you missed any of that, 101ESPN.com. The 101 ESPN app is where you can find the full conversation. Those podcasts are presented by I Promise. Zach Thompson's an interesting case because the Cardinals have talked for years about this depth that they're building in their pitching. And he's one of those guys that we talk so much about a lefty pitcher. They took him out of Kentucky. They believe he's going to be a really, really good player for them eventually. But Jamie last year, he didn't have a season just like every other player that's in the minors right now. None of them were actually able to play a season. This was also the case or is about to be the case in some ways for it appears some of the NHL prospects as well. We'll see what happens with the AHL and everything there. How much do you think this sets these guys back? You were once upon a time a prospect yourself. If if you just had one season where you couldn't play and you were put into a situation like this, how much do you think that sets them back? It's kind of a wasted year. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I know that uh, there's a lot of people that try and spin it positively of, well, I really got to, you know, hone in on one or two things and work on them. There's no replicating game experience. You can't, like, there's no training that gives you game experience. That's why every time any of the sports leagues start up, they're like, ooh, we got to get into the game shape. Whether it's basketball, football, hockey, baseball, playing, you know, practice games or inter-squad games, they're not like playing real games. So imagine not even having like real inner squad games. They kind of sort of do, but that would get old yeah. pretty quickly. So, yeah, they kind of had a wasted year of development, which sucks because guess what? They still had a birthday. They still got a year older and they haven't, they didn't advance at all. And so it's got to be frustrating. I think that this year, Major League Baseball specifically has to figure out a way to have some kind of minor league system for these guys 
to play in. Or guess what? It'll be another birthday that they have, and they won't have had any real significant progress. Do you guys think they're going to have a season this year for the Miners? They have to do something. And I thought about this last year. Why would the team not have two squads? Hear me out. So if the Cardinals have their squad, they travel with the B squad, and the other team where you're going or coming into, they have a B squad. It nothing's televised, nothing is, you know, broadcast. JV and varsity basically in high school. But the B squads play either before earlier in the day or later at night, but they're there, they're developing, but you're actually playing against other organizations at that point to be their top prospects because you're not gonna bring your lower down the line guys into that. I don't know how feasible it is. I was about to say, I think for this year, and I don't know, maybe this is something that they look into for next year, Jamie, but for this season, I'm guessing what they would have said is, well, we wanted to limit the amount of exposure that these guys had. So the fewer people that they were around, the better. And so bringing in an extra 25 to 40 guys to be able to play in these minor league quote unquote seasons as the B team or whatever you want to call it, that would have just added an extra 50 to 100 people that had to come to the ballpark every okay, day. Okay, so then let's regionalize it, right? So you don't have them with the big team. You have them in the same city as the big team somewhere else. And then you regionalize it so that if the Cardinals farm team was here, they would play at a number of different ballparks surrounding so that, like, if the Cubs had their minor league team, you put it in an area to where all these teams can play each other the whole season long. And and you have one in the east. You have one in the south. You have one, you know, mountain area like Dallas, Texas, somewhere in there. And you have one out west. I mean, it's worth a shot. You have to do something or you're just – these draft picks become – you know, two, three years down the road, they haven't shown any substantial development. Or you find a way to make summer camps a tournament, right? Or a season with summer camps, you know, where you maybe stay at spring training and you keep those ballparks close together and you just play a season that would be short travels, like a bus ride to one place or the other. You play three or four series against that team because you know, even though people are losing AAA and AA and single A affiliates, Every team has prospects, so you don't have to say, hey, you know, unless you're a top 20 prospect, you're going to have to go find another job. We bring our camps together and you say, "Okay, we got a spring training, but the spring training is going to be your regular season. So basically extended, extended spring training the way they they typically would have it for for certain guys that can go down there. And especially the draft picks, for instance, whenever whenever you're drafted in Major League Baseball, typically you would go to the extended spring training site. You work out there for a few weeks, and then eventually they'll place you in low A, high Mm -hmm. A, wherever you're going to eventually play. And that's how they kind of get you acclimated to the And what you're looking at, Florida and Arizona, right? Like those are your two leagues. So Arizona plays Arizona, Florida plays Florida. I know it's kind of repetitive, but you know what? I think it's a great idea. You're getting games in. It's just kind of like I said, the regionalized idea. I like that one. I actually like yours better. Alex, because you already have your facilities there. So why not use them? Um, My concern is you're still having the same issue of, okay, so we've got a certain amount of guys that can be there, right? Mm -hmm. Your entire roster can't be. I mean, there's only so many players that you can have. Maybe it's 40, maybe it's 50. I don't know what the actual number is going to be. For what? For for these these extended spring training sites. Like if the Cardinals have a team that is playing down there, you're not going to have four different rosters that are playing. You're not going to have... Low A, high no, A, double A, triple A. You have to isolate it to what you deem to be your closest to the majors prospects. And so for everybody else, they're once again missing out on that year. So a guy like Tommy Pham, he's not going to exist in this system because he's not going to have an opportunity for two years to be able to play baseball. 
he is so far behind the eight ball at that point, yeah. his career might be over. But maybe you're able to have larger rosters at spring training sites. I don't know if they would do that because I think they're increasing the risk too, right? Like, and we're, I mean, larger rosters. We're talking about low A, rookie, high A, double A, triple A. That's five teams. You're talking about 130 players. I'm thinking between A, double A, and triple A. And maybe you isolate it to A and double A and triple A, the ones that are closest to major league ready. Yeah. And then you have your A and double A's like a Tommy fan that was early on that you're like, yeah, they could make it, but we're not sure. And you have two different systems playing. I mean, again, this is this is not going to be easy, but you would imagine if you're in the same state, if you're making bus trips to different stadiums, you have a little bit more safety with it. And your A and double A's can travel to somewhere else while your AAA hosts another AAA. Okay, so hearing us talk about this and then this next text that came in, 65780, Air Comfort Service text line, it got me thinking. From the 314, do you guys think that the Major League Baseball development pipeline is just too convoluted anyway? Think about all the teams we just talked about. Low A, high A, double A, rookie ball. The NHL has the American Hockey League and the East Coast Hockey League. But they got a lot of juniors, too. You got WHL, you got OHL, you got the East Coast Hockey League. that's college baseball. Well, that's kind of what baseball is. High school players that are drafted can opt to go to college or they can opt to go into the majors. But but my point is, and why would your pro teams have to have, why would you have to have five or six levels of pro teams? Playing time for because if you, if you only have like uh, basically if we if we consolidated all of this to AAA and AA right and you've only got the two teams now well now there's hundreds of players that are no longer getting an opportunity to play well they'll have to go somewhere and find it like uh, uh, hockey players go overseas they go find uh, like they go other places and then they try to get back over here. To get into the American Hockey League. But isn't baseball the same as hockey where the OHL is like A ball, the East Coast Hockey League is double A, and then you got triple A, which is the AHL? Yeah, but what I'm saying to you is it's the same for baseball. If you have a high school kid and then he goes to college, that's the same as playing in the OHL. So it's not, the OHL is not pro. It's amateur. It's high school kids. But they have prop, they have players that they've drafted that are their properties in the OHL, right? Correct. They continue to develop, but if you have a college player, maybe you can draft them and leave them at college to keep developing. The the way that it works right That's, now is you know what I'm saying? once yeah, you're I drafted gotcha. from college in baseball, you either come out of the amateur system where you're 18 and you opt to not go like to college or Gorman. you end up staying for three years in college. So and maybe they drafted. mandate that you stay until they can figure this thing out. I I don't know. I I mean already this year they limited the drafts to just 5 rounds normally it's 40. So yeah. they they've, they've already slimmed this thing down basically as much as they can and to the texter's point baseball seems to think it's too convoluted. And what I really mean by that is baseball thinks this is too expensive. Baseball is trying to limit the amount of money that they are spending to be able to develop these players. And eventually, yes, I think we're going to be to a place where I think all you're going to have is single A, double A, triple A. And those are those are going to be the three teams that you have, and they're going to try to filter this thing as much as they can, which means fewer opportunities for fewer players to be able to make it to the big leagues. You're going to miss out on some opportunities that you would have otherwise had for cool stories like Tommy Pham. Those guys just aren't going to be able to play anymore. Um, and it's it, it's taking away a little bit of the spirit of baseball. Like part of what you said, Jamie, you're right. Hockey does it differently. Part of what makes baseball cool, or at least in my opinion, is that you have really cool stories. I've mentioned his name a few times now, but like Tommy Pham, who is a late bloomer. Whit Merrifield with the Royals was like 28 when he made his major league debut. He was never considered to be a prospect. 
And then suddenly he became one of the better second basemen in baseball, one of the better hitters in baseball. He stuck with it. He eventually broke through. And that's a a very specific baseball story. If you don't do it this way, you're going to have fewer and fewer stories like that. That's fine. It is what it is. You got to deal with it. But that that's how it's probably going to be. John Nagowski probably not going to be in baseball in, in this future Puts, sense of it what puts it a is. lot more onus on your evaluation and your performance evaluators on rosters. So to be honest, I think that would be the best case scenario for baseball. And you do lose out on those stories. But, hey, if you got a good talent evaluator who says Tommy Pham's <laughs> going to be something, then you're going to keep him coming back. And you'll still end up just like there are independent teams. There'll still be independent teams or someone yep. will create an independent league. Yeah. Somewhere that's Rascals. not affiliated. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And they'll throw some teams out there, and then you'll still get your odd story of a guy who played in, be rare. you know, the armpit of the earth somewhere, and all of a sudden he's getting his first major league at bat. Yeah, it's just going to be more rare. Yep. And uh, I, I hate the way that baseball is going right now. I, I hate the way that they're trying to siphon off as many of these different expenses as they possibly can because I, I frankly just don't believe that baseball is not a profitable sport because all well, of they these... tell us it is. And so we have to believe yeah. that with Jamie rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie Taysom Hill, the official starter for the saints. Hold on. Wait, what? What? We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. NFL quick hitters Taysom Hill we talked about him earlier this week and we were all wondering why did you give him all this money if he's not going to start for you when Drew Brees is out well he is going to start for them while Drew Brees is out Jamie Rivers Adam Schefter tweeted earlier today Jameis Winston not only will not be starting for the Saints on Sunday he will quote not be part of any offensive packages against the Falcons end quote the Saints quarterback is officially Taysom Hill Jamie, what do you make of this? Because we were kind of taken aback earlier this week when it sounded like it was going to be Winston, and now we know it's going to be Taysom Hill. Yeah, okay, so I thought about this long and hard last night, <sighs> sleepless night, worrying about Taysom Hill and, and and certainly Jameis Winston. And here's what I came up with, is that the reason they didn't put Hill in the game the other day he really wasn't part of the offensive packages as a whole, right? They probably hadn't gone over some of the the plays or the call or the audibles, whatever it is. And so they throw Jameis Winston in there. Like, you know what? Throw this guy in here. What could go wrong? And he handled it really well, which made us think, oh, that guy's probably going to go who they, who they go with. But then they go back to the video room and back to the facility. Taysom Hill gets the full offensive package game plan for the next week. Gives him a lot more runway to be prepared accordingly. Now, I do I, I do still believe that we're going to see Jameis Winston at some point in that game. Uh, whether they just throw him in there for a changeup as far as like they do with Taysom Hill on a regular basis with Drew Brees. Or maybe Taysom Hill is not ready or not good enough after the first quarter and we get Winston back. So yeah. that's that's where I see. At. I don't think so. I, I think it's Taysom Hill. And I think the only way you see Jameis is if Taysom gets hurt. Like we said, they brought him back for a reason. They've seen his arm. They've seen his run game. And Winston can be effective. Yes. But Winston's effect is he can scramble or he can throw the ball deep. Taysom Hill might be the better runner if you need him to be the quarterback for how big he is. So I'm going off of what Sean Payton says. And I think when you give this guy $16 million, you say, okay, Taysom, here's your shot. Got two takeaways from this. First of all, if I'm Jameis Winston, I'd be pissed. Absolutely furious. If I signed for you with you and I don't know that he was sold that, but everybody seems to believe that he was sold 
if anything were to happen to Drew Brees this season, he would get the same treatment that Teddy Bridgewater got a year ago to be able to showcase himself in that Saints offense. He did. If, <laughs> what? I didn't know you were there. <laughs> he did not. Um, and he's not going to, it appears, this week. So if I'm Jameis, I'm like, man, I... I came here to be able to kind of get my value back because of an event like this potentially happening. Now that it happened, I'm not going to get my opportunity. What gives? So that's one side of things, but whatever. It is what it is. As a as a fan of football, as somebody who's really interested in what, this is going to be amazing. I can't wait to see what this looks like because I legitimately have no idea what it is going to look like. And anybody te- who tells you that they do is lying. We have seen in a total of 18 pass attempts from Taysom Hill in his entire career. He's making 16 million? $16 million. <laughs> For this year? For the next two seasons. So it's like million three year? million this year and 13 next year. <laughs> Damn. I want his agent. <laughs> and he's 30 years old. Damn. He's not a young guy anymore. Damn. He's 30 years old and he's the starting quarterback for them despite having 18 pass attempts in his entire career. I don't know what this looks like with him as their starter. They're going to run him 40 times. I've never seen anything Especially like this in the league. <laughs> Like this could look like, remember when the Dolphins probably 10 years ago now went with the wildcat package for the first time it, it took the league by storm with ronnie brown yeah and everyone was like what are we watching here and they like wrote it to the playoffs this might work for the saints it really could i don't know if it's sustainable but it might work so i can't wait to see what they look like with this by the way from the 636 somebody says on the text line i just picked up Taysom hill he's his position on espn says that he's a tight end or a quarterback we only have one slopper quarterback in fantasy so i've got him as a tight end now my commissioner is not happy with the ruling. Just a heads up, that. Just a heads up for anybody out there that's listening right now. If you're in a fantasy league, and I mean, tight end stinks this year in fantasy. If you need somebody other than basically Travis Kelsey or George Kill, if you don't have one of those two, go pick up Taysom Hill right now. He's eligible to play tight end for How you is that this even week. Possible? I don't know. He's eligible for a tight end position well, that's this not week. The answer I was looking Put for. him into your lineup. Start him this week with confidence. He's one of probably the five best quote unquote tight ends in fantasy this week. Might even be number one because he's playing quarterback. How many passes has he caught? Uh, in his career, he has 28 receptions. So he has more receptions than he does pass attempts in <laughs> okay, his career. It's a joke on my fantasy league. It's not true. I just looked for it. And uh, are you on ESPN? Uh, yeah. ESPN has him ESPN eligible. Has him? eligible as tight end so I'll look at it a little I bit don't deeper. think that's the case on Yahoo it's but it is the case on ESPN oh I was using oh yeah sorry diving into a couple more quick hitters here on 101 ESPN for the NFL weekend we've talked a lot about the Miami Dolphins after their big win last week the big win last couple of weeks really ever since they went with Tua they have a pretty easy game this weekend Jamie against the Broncos they're going on the road at Denver And this is nothing different for them the rest of the season. According to ESPN, the Dolphins have the easiest remaining strength of schedule in the entire league for their upcoming games. Guys, does this change anything for you about how you view the Dolphins as a legitimate playoff contender now, knowing that they have the easiest strength of schedule in the league remaining? No, it doesn't change anything for me. That's kind of what I looked at from the beginning was the fact that the back half of their season, uh, they only have the Chiefs and the Raiders. Well, I guess they got the Bills, too. I think they, they deem this to be weaker than what the Packers have left. Yeah, they, ha- they wow. have this as the easiest. The Seahawks are 31st, so the second easiest. And then third is the Ravens. Above that, it is the Chargers, Cowboys, Browns. Let me see where the Packers are Packers, on this to list. me, have a pretty easy road. Packers, I, they, think have the I think they've got one more against the Bucks and the Colts. Yeah. 
in terms of the ease mm. of schedule. They get to face a lot of easy offenses well. in the final seven games, but only two teams will face a tougher schedule of defenses in the final seven weeks, according to ESPN. The Dolphins, they've got four in a row that are going to be tough for them. The Chiefs, the Patriots, the Raiders, and the Bills. I know the Patriots haven't been you know, knocking the world on its ass this year. But I'm guessing this gets pulled down a lot because they get the Jets and the Bengals probably my guess well, because yeah. those two games are just so damn easy compared to everybody else in the yeah right I, I do think they're going to be a playoff team wasn't it, wasn't it the rams that the dolphins beat yeah i, I mean that pretty damn good team i mean at least if you're looking at espn they consider the rams now the best team in the nfc west and they beat them and it wasn't like a it wasn't like a oh wow they beat them it was a they demolished them so i don't really th- i mean yeah, they yeah, demolished they got- the 49ers didn't they yeah, but weren't they without? They were without yeah. Garoppolo and Kittle at the time too. Uh, it doesn't change my opinion. I think this is a playoff team. I think this team's legit, especially now with Tua. Um, so, so no, I, I think this Dolphins team is, is what we're seeing. Be interesting to watch moving forward. I, it, it does change my expectations for them a bit, just because if you're able to take advantage of that kind of a schedule, I mean, suddenly you're looking mm-hmm. at maybe potentially even winning the division it's totally in the realm of the possibility for the miami dolphins which if you told me that before the year i would have said you're absolutely insane final thing for you guys mvp odds we've talked about it a lot last night we had a showcase game between kyler murray and russell wilson to me i don't think either of them changed anything for their mvp odds after that performance do you view this weekend as a potential chance for a guy like Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes to break away from those two as the leading candidates right now to win the MVP? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. I think Aaron Rodgers is going up against the Colts. That's going to be a good game. It's going to be a tough game. Uh, so how he does in that game might add, shed some light on what we're looking at for MVP stuff. And Patrick Mahomes going against the Raiders. That is their only loss this year. I'm expecting him, like I said earlier, to come out wearing a cape and just absolutely <laughs> run roughshod all over the Raiders. And if he does that, then that that's kind of a statement too. Yeah, see, I think it's 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 Mahomes and Rodgers right now with Mahomes on top of it, and Rodgers has the opportunity. But even if he beats the Colts, I still think he's got some ground to cover with Mahomes if Mahomes has an incredible week because Rodgers, again, you can make the argument with him for Devontae Adams, and I, mean, I guess you can make the argument with Mahomes, but it's it's a two-horse race right now, in my opinion. I think so, too, especially after last night. Those guys didn't assert themselves in a way that made them clearly in the conversation with Mahomes or Rodgers, and if those two guys, because there are kind of national spotlight games, Chiefs being Sunday Night Football, the Colts, Packers being probably the best game of any of the earlier slate games, I, I think if, if either of those two has a massive performance in a win, that's going to go a long way in terms of their MVP odds. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. It's Jamie Rivers' favorite time of the week. It's time for One Gotta Go. You give us four options. We tell you which one's got to go. That's coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Gotta go. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Four ones gotta go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's gotta get all the way up out of here. One's gotta go St. Louis edition. Uh-oh. Emos, aka St. Louis style pizza. Toasted wraps, gooey butter cake, or the arch. Ah, or the arch. Emos, like the radio toasted station? wraps, gooey butter cake, or the arch. One's gotta go. <laughs> I think you would have been better off putting pork steak in this rather than the arch, but well, uh, it Jamie, comes from the text line from the 3 Wow. I mean, you can't get rid of the arch, right? 
<laughs> or can you? No. <laughs> no. Are we, are we are sure? We sure? <laughs> uh, no, for me. Growing um, up in KC, the, the joke was always that the St. Louis monument was something signifying to keep going as far west as you possibly can. You got here now. Keep on going. The oh, gateway to the arch. Uh, thanks for, for, Kansas thanks for the throwing arch. shade on us, yeah. Casey. Appreciate Go it. Back, Again, that was the joke. You can't get rid of that. All right. Uh, With the joke or the arch? For this one here, I, I, I know you guys are going to torch me for it, but I just have to be honest. It's just not my thing. Uh, gooey butter cake's got to go. Interesting. I'm just not a pastry cake pie. Like, I'm just not that. So... <laughs> I'm going to get toasted on this. I'm going to get rid of the arch. What? What? <laughs> no. Sorry. Sorry, no. guys. I've, uh, I've lived here 29. I've lived here 30 years. And it I've was been supposed there. to be a joke, Alex. No. You, you can't be serious. No, I'm serious. I'm not getting rid of those three food pieces here. What? <laughs> I'm going to get rid of the arch. I'm going to get rid of the arch. <laughs> it's like this. <laughs> when you ask your friend, hey, what do you think of when you think of St. Louis, who's never been here? Yeah. They're going to say the arch. It's the only thing I even knew about St. Louis. And you know why I knew about it? The movie Vacation, the original with Chevy Chase. They're going through St. Louis and he goes, hey, look, kids, it's the arch. Bye bye. Gateway to the West. So, yeah. I'm sorry. Is this a peer pressure game or is this an opinionated no, game? No, we're trying to save you, actually. No. You well, do have to walk worry, to BK, your car. BK will do that at some point. All right. Yeah, well, listen, this. The, the correct, your heels in then, brother. <laughs> the correct answer here is St. Louis style pizza. Just uh, not a fan. We've talked about this before. See, there you go. One's got to go <laughs> bachelor party destination edition. Vegas, Miami. Nashville or Denver? Oh. And when I say Denver, ski resorts, all that stuff, yeah. right? Vegas, Miami, Nashville, or Denver? If one's got to go, bachelor party de- destination edition. Okay, so I've been to each of these places, so I do have a little bit of a scouting report um, and analytics to back up <laughs> my, my choice here. Uh, as much as I love this place, it is definitely last for these, so Denver has to go. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Denver's got to go for me, Denver's too. Denver's got to go. Not a ski person. I'm Vegas, sorry. Vegas. But, yeah, Vegas. Nobody gets rid of Vegas. Miami. Miami, South Beach. Nobody gets rid of that. It's basically Vegas. And Nashville, the country scene down on Broadway, you just don't get rid of that. Also basically Vegas. So also, those three are top. Nash See? Vegas, I believe Thank they you. call it. Give me Denver over Nashville every uh, day of the week. Oh, you're a Memphis guy. I forgot about this. Yeah, Memphis is better than Nashville. That's where I'm going for my bachelor party next year. Where, Jamie? Denver? No, Memphis. No, we're not going to Denver. I went to Vegas for mine, so that's why that's not going anywhere. D- Denver's got to be on there above Nashville. Nashville can get all the way up out of here. All right. St. Louis is better than Nashville. Well, it I is, but it's not here. on the list. Yeah, you didn't put it on the list, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> One got to go, necessity edition. Oh, boy. Toilet paper, shoes, your vehicle, or sports. One's got to go, necessity edition. Toilet paper, shoes, your vehicle, or sports. Okay, this one, I, uh, there's loopholes in this question. That's what that, I was wondering. I'm, I'm absolutely going to dive into those loopholes. Yep. Toilet paper has to go. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. Paper towels. You're going the wrong loophole, at, buddy. Guys, I could use the rundown. Oh, yeah. Right how's that, how's that going to feel after uh, three times a day? It's going to feel better than walking around without <laughs> shoes. I'm not sure that's true. What? I'm not sure that's I true think we have second thoughts on that afterwards. Yeah, I think your feet will go numb with calluses if you walk without shoes for a while. I don't yeah. know if the other will. I don't care. I'm toilet paper. I could use an old towel. I could use a shop towel. I could use paper towels. I could use tissues. Yeah, Jamie Rivers could use sandpaper. I could use your jacket. No, you can't, actually. I could. That's not a lot. I mean, I wouldn't, but I could. I'm getting rid of the vehicle. 
Okay, so then, great. Uber. Where, what area of the city do you live in? <laughs> South St. Louis? Have fun. We'll see you Monday. Can't you just go bicycle? Right. On the highway. To get here? Yeah. From Alex, your place? Yeah. yeah. How far away are you? Far in enough. In your car. Far. Far enough. I'll figure it out. Just call Uber, dude. Yeah, yeah. okay. I mean, it exists nowadays. Well, getting rid of the vehicle. Have you seen the paychecks around here? We can't call Uber every day. Good, good point. <laughs> that would be a little bit of a, little bit of a high pay <laughs> commute. <laughs> I'm going to go vehicle as well, and I'll figure it out eventually. Because I'm not walking around without shoes. I can't even get, a, get into certain stores without shoes on you can use that rundown if you want to on your did you hear the list of things i could i could go to goodwill and buy a whole bunch of old clothes cut them into pieces and that's my toilet paper yeah see that's Again. fine until you have some issues yeah. Again, but guess you're what gonna I be could hemorrhoid do? city in no. about a weekend guess what i could do i could drive my damn truck there while you guys walk your asses around you're gonna get a bidet and <laughs> that's go. gonna be your I'll just bring in the garden I think of the bidet I'm just bringing the hose from outside. <laughs> Damn so it. the problem for the sports, one, like, that's the obvious answer. <laughs> the what? Uh, the sports would be the clear answer for certain people. Like my fiance, Carol, would be like, yeah, oh, yeah. just get rid of sports. Right? Yeah, not, not my for anybody uh, no. listening uh, to this, though. And the problem is, like, we'd be unemployed. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. we would no longer go have jobs. Control. And I don't have any discernible skills. So not having this job means that I'm screwed. <laughs> So I'd like to keep this job for the foreseeable future. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for One's Gotta Go. One's Gotta Go Beer Edition. Lager, Stout, Pilsners, or IPAs. One's Gotta Go Beer Edition. Lager, Stout, Pilsner, or IPAs. Jamie, how many of these have you ever tried? I guarantee I've tried one of all of them. Probably didn't like them, though. Pilsner is popular overseas. I was about to say, you probably would like Pilsner. Pilsner was good. Um, I can't see you enjoying IPAs or Stouts. (laughs) The IPA for me has got to go. I know that's just so awful because (laughs) that's... But to me, the IPA has got to go. I'm okay with the Stout. I mean, it's not my first choice, but I'm okay with it. So, yeah, IPA, beat it. I'm getting rid of the Stout because I don't believe I've ever had one. I don't believe I've ever had a uh, scout before. I, I like the lagers. IPAs are okay in my book. None of these are seltzers. Um, but, yeah, we're going to get rid of the stouts. Yeah, that's what we're going to get rid of. So IPAs are kind of my go-to. Ugh. I love a good lager. I mean, I'll, I'll drink Bud Light. I'll drink Mick Ultra. Like, I'll, I'll drink whatever, right? I don't want to be. I don't want to have to get rid of that category, especially if you're going on, like, a... If you're going on a float trip, I'm not drinking stouts all day. Let's put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) And barrel-aged stouts are incredible this time of year. In fact, I'm getting ready to go pick one up this weekend. I'm very excited about it. Uh, Pilsner's got to go. Or excuse Uh, me. What? Yeah, Pilsner's got to go. Pilsner's got to go. Go overseas and good luck. Pilsner's the way to go. I yeah, like Pilsners. They also have moose over there, and that's not going to happen anytime soon. But it's so. going to come down to Pilsners or Loggers for me, and I would rather uh, the category of Loggers here is a little bigger in St. Louis than the category yeah, of Pilsners. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go Pilsners. Got to go. All right, last one here. One's got to go. Steak edition. Ooh. Ribeye, sirloin, filet mignon, or New York strip. Ribeye, sirloin, filet mignon, or New York strip. All right. <sighs> I think New York strips got to go. And here's why. The filet, well, that's never going anywhere. The top, well, actually, maybe the top sirloin has to go. Ribeye's got, it's got a lot more fat in it, but a lot more flavor. Um, Yeah, I'm going New York Strip. It just seems very blah to me. I mean, it's good. 
I'm just picking, you know, the worst of the best, basically. But New York Strip, sorry, man. I'm going to go New York Strip as well. I think I can uh, I can get some comps with a top sirloin. And let's be frank here, I can't afford New York steaks this often. So uh, we'll get rid of the New York steaks and stick with the other three. Get rid of the top sirloin. Get Ooh. them all the way out of here. What do I need that for? The ribeye has far more flavor. The strip has far more flavor. The filet mignon is just a better version of the sirloin. D- depends what you do to the top sirloin. That's true. You also don't like Thanksgiving, so you must not know how to cook food. Oh, that's right. He hates oh. turkey. Oh, the turkey's always dry. The turkey's We're going to cross the things over next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Time to cross things over with the fast lane. If you missed anything on today's show, be sure to check out the podcast brought to you by I Promise. 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. Chris Ranji joining us now in studio. Ranj, how you doing, bud? I'm okay, man. What's wrong with uh, (laughs) Jamie? Are you all right? Our text line is simply amazing, especially on Fridays. Honestly, they don't don't miss an opportunity to... Because they're sauced. ...to give it to us at every chance they can, and it's it's much appreciated, so I appreciate it. Here's a brief... uh... <laughs> Brief sampling for you. Okay. BK needs his pansy ass whooped. Okay. That was one of them. Uh, one of them Jamie's gone back and forth with. Uh, the guy said that he's going to regret. Jamie is going to regret not keeping the toilet paper. And Jamie said, no, nah, I'll just use BK's shirt. Wait, so well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold I on. bet it's Wait super soft, just, just like BK. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so. What happened? What? What in the hell are you talking about? Just our text line. Super no, 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 no. But what was this? What were we talking about toilet paper? Well, BK has this incredible game that we play every Friday. I came up with it. Oh, it's, God. My decision. It's revolutionary, okay? Uh, it's called One Gotta Go. And so Nobody else has ever played this. It's okay. never been done before. Oh, the internet like certainly yeah. doesn't do it. We've actually applied for the trademark. It's pending. So, anyways, the one that he did come up with, which is apparently is gone at this point, anyways, was... It was one's got to go toilet paper, shoes, your vehicle, or sports. So, necessity edition. Toilet paper, shoes, your vehicle, or sports. Oh, toilet paper. I Easy. said toilet paper, You know too. why? You can get a bidet. See, I didn't think of that. I was like, I'm just going to go to Goodwill, buy a whole bunch of clothes, and cut them into pieces. Or apparently just wash them? No. Or just throw them out? Well, throw them away. Nice silk pajamas. Just get a bidet. Somebody else could use those shirts from Goodwill, Jamie. Jeez. I am. They're going to a better place. (laughs) Because of your poor decision making. (laughs) No. You're the one. These two guys said get rid of their vehicles. Have yeah, fun that's, that's outrageous. Well, I'll use Uber. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's outrageous. Well, yeah. yeah. Now, now that here. I think about it, well, I, at first I was thinking Daddy all vehicles. Over here, kind of Uber every yeah. day. He's New York staking well, it up too. But but he could sell his car. You sell your car, you get the money, you use the money for that for Uber. Well, that's my plan unless He'll I get lowballed on it. You'll last about three weeks after selling that's his That's true. Car. That's very true. <laughs> the problem is we have a lot of listeners, and they don't like me very much, so we've got oh. a limited audience to be able to sell <laughs> my car to. Who cares? Listen, get a bidet. I, I think we should all have bidets anyway. Bidets are incredible. Do you they, have they one? Are pretty, no. I, I need to get one. 
Like you can, this you can get the them on Amazon. Yeah, you can get them on, on Amazon. You hook it up, and you're yeah, good to go. Yeah, they got those new ones that hook to your toilet seat. My, yeah, my brother yeah, yeah, was yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about that. My it's brother-in-law like has one. Butthole power washer. My brother-in-law awesome. has one, and he says he doesn't even use toilet paper anymore. No, it's but great. It takes care of it. supposed to wipe afterwards. Yeah, no, that, okay. If so, you get a good enough potato, it takes care of it itself. Does it have a hair dryer attached to it? Too? No, it's just <laughs> suction. He's saying there should be some drying action oh, that no, happens you, before you, you pull just, everything back I mean, up. I get it. Spray that. Yeah, 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 yeah. As you, you know, want, it's now it's like when you wash wet. your hands. You've you've washed them. Now you have to dry them. What do you just? Sh- you can shake your hands yeah. around, but one minute, yeah. walk around. You could shake it off. Be like, yeah. look at just, Rex, he's just go water. again. He might just, just had a dump. It is kind of amazing if you think about it that we've decided, and we're pretty advanced as a people, at least I think we are, yeah. that we decided that we were just going to take dry toilet paper, <laughs> you know, use that and then like be done with it. And then we were clean. Like mm-hmm. we just, that's what we decided. Oh, we that was okay. But why, why would we not go with something cleaner like the bidet? <laughs> a butthole washer sounds like a BK staple. <laughs> I think that's just a shower hey. for BK. <laughs> you want to have a dirty ass, you go right ahead. But I think of the day is great. My text line is in mid-season form. Uh, Ronge, what's coming up today on the fast lane, man? Well, we can't on. wait to listen. Well, let me let me sell the bidet one more time okay, for you. Had a friend who continue. had a friend who put it to me this way. If whoa, you were, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, Why'd your can friend I, do that? Can I can I finish? Whoa, uh, whoa. If you were in the park and you fell down and your arm landed in dog poop. Would you go home and take dry paper towels and wipe it off and say, I'm good? No, you wouldn't. You get water, you clean it off, and then you're really clean. I would just shower. That is the that is the best reason for a bidet I've ever heard. Water, no soap in the shower though, or in the bidet though. No, you don't. I I don't think you need you to go that far. Just put some like all purpose cleaner in the bidet. That'd be <laughs> like what? Like you're just gonna bleach? use some bleach? Don't do that. <laughs> oh my god! Plenty about using bleach for things <laughs> that you shouldn't do. It. What is the matter with you? Summer. No, don't do those kind. Of, bleach is not supposed to go on your person. Oh, that's not how you bleach your butt. No. <laughs> what, Jamie? You've been listening to the Ribs and BK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Bakers, fresh for everyone.